Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hi there, this is Martin Popoff, scribbler of 85 heavy metal books and host of History in 5 Songs with Martin Popoff podcast. When I need to get my kiss fix, I listen to Shout It Out Loudcast with Tom and Zeus. Listen to us both on the Pantheon Podcast Network or wherever you get your podcasts. Check them out. Greetings and salutations. Welcome to the sh 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 shout it out loud cast. Don't turn your radio dial because if you love psychos, you're in the right place because the album review crew is back with episode 27. We are calling this one. Get back. Huh? The Patreons asked for it. So here's mud in your eye. And if you don't like it, you can get the fuck out. Tommy Zeus. How you doing? Wow, what an that was intro. Awesome. I, I, I always look forward to the intros. That was fan fucking tastic. Nothing, nothing like starting the show and telling the listeners, get the fuck out. No, no, it's get the fuck out. Get the fuck That's out. So get the fuck out. Hey dudes, get the fuck out. Hey, Patreon people, thanks for picking slave to the grind, man. Fucking rock on, guys. Yeah. Oh, so this is going to be like an ace episode, right? Basically, we're all dropping bad fucking impressions the whole episode, huh? Why not? Okay. Yeah, why not? But what's the big surprise for our Patreon and for our listeners in general? And for Sonny. <laughs> yeah, and for Sonny. Well, we will be joined in a little bit by none other than Mr. Jericho. Chris Jericho is jumping on this. When we talk to him about what we have planned, he's like, yeah, I'd love to come on. So uh, he'll be jumping on to go over the album and do his rankings of the songs. And uh, that'll be forthcoming. But before we do that, we have to go for three hours worth of feedback on our last episode. Yeah, because the shout at the devil Motley Crue episode just absolutely destroyed everything in terms of feedback and all that stuff. You guys. Wow. Did we do a poll? We did do a poll. We didn't forget this time. (laughs) Did Vince answer the poll? Did Vince answer? Do we know what, what was the poll? Favorite brand of favorite flavor of M&M? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> it was too, it was too tiring. Did we tag Vince? Because I don't uh, know if we tagged. Vince. We did tag the, the Vince Neal. It was too tiring. I gotta press the button. <sighs> <sighs> he just responded with a with a picture of a piece of chocolate cake. He's got a picture. He just sent a photo of him as the fucking <laughs> the, 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 the baboon or whatever. The, the abominable snowman. <laughs> <laughs> Stop sending me this shit. <laughs> All right. So uh, so our previous episode was a was a, a huge one. It was uh, Motley Crue shout out the devil. And of course the poll is always what's your favorite song? So our four options were Shout at the Devil, Looks the Kill, Red Hot, and Too Young to Fall in Love. Coming in at 35% was Looks the Kill. Coming in at 28% was Too Young to Fall in Love. 25% Shout at the Devil. And you guys are insane. Red Hot only getting 12%. Unbelievable. It shouldn't even Un- been in there. But oh, Zeus says it should have been down. There. Oh, it shouldn't even been in there. God. Uh, couple, 10 seconds to love a couple quick comments here our buddy Bill Elam said you spelled bastard wrong oh. so that's his that's his favorite song our buddy Jack Broad loves Red Hot um, let's see here uh, oh our buddy Sean Geek come on guys for my Mick, Ma- Mick Mars was the monster character of Motley Crue like Gene was for Kiss totally fit in wow okay um, oh, and here we have a new burner account. It is called. <laughs> I, can't, I, can't, I can't read this. Hold on. I'm excited now to hear it. <laughs> Zeus's I'm, bad takes. What is I'm going to have to not look at you guys while I read this because I can't. I'm not going to be able to get it out. <laughs> it's. I'm trying so hard. I can't read this. <laughs> So the new burner account is called. <laughs> I can't get it. I'm sorry. What? Fat, fat Vince is out of breath. <laughs> <laughs> and the and the Twitter avatar is that picture of him going. So his comment on the poll was, I voted against Shout of the Devil because it has too many words in the song. I can't catch my breath. It's like when I'm stuffing my fat face (laughs) with Coney Island chili dogs. (laughs) Coney Island, what? Coney Island chili dogs. (laughs) Jesus Christ. (laughs) All right. I'm sorry. Okay. All right. I'm sorry. Can that person please come forward and let us know who they are? Just send us a DM or something. Oh, please. Then we got got a write in vote for Helter Skelter. Yeah. Well, you can only fit four on on, on the thing there. Yeah. Um, Let's talk. uh, Let's get a couple uh, episode specific uh, comments here because we with the interaction. This was just amazing. You guys are you guys are crazy. Um, Mark ain't John. This one we haven't heard from in a while. Motley goes completely downhill after this album. Why were they considered one of the best bands of the 80s? They maybe have two albums worth of good songs I could name. 
Oh, no. He says two albums worth of good songs. I could name 200 bands better than them, starting with Badlands and ending with Shotgun Messiah. Oh, that sounds like a Pony Burner account. <laughs> Our buddy John Restano. Oh, God. I forgot how long ago this episode was. We were talking about the video for Time Stand Still by Rush in that in that episode of Molly oh Crew. Oh, God. And, of course, he posts the video of that. Oh, t- <laughs> Frightening. And I love Rush. God. Vet Halen. Now, this is a Desert Island album. This album is why I'm a rock and metal fan. All-time favorite band. Um, oh, our buddy West Beach not happy, accusing Nikki of ripping off his eye black and pentagram. Oh, we don't want any of that. We don't want any, any of that kind of shit going on here. Our buddy Costa Vucinus. Can't wait to hear the episode. Uh, had, had tickets to a June 84 show with Accept. Ooh, all right. Did you go to the show? Because I'm sorry if you did. Oh, is except, that, oh, my God, dude. Except is bad. Is that what the guy who looks like he's taking a shit? That's right. Yeah. <laughs> that guy. Uh-oh. Twisted Kister. Sonny nailed it by saying this should have been the 94 album as it's the best crew album. Bam. Wow, you guys are all crazy. Oh, and we got a visit from our other great burner account, Dizzy Dean's Picket Fence <laughs> Teeth shows up. And he says, I like my metal bands to have beautiful men sing. That's what Motley Crue was missing. Give them a heartthrob like Angry Anderson with his stunning good looks, angelic voice, and body of an Adonis, and you got yourself something special. Who's Angry Anderson? I don't know. Oh, I don't know. Spotted over here. So, so, so yeah, we got another one. Oh, God. Our buddy Steve gives his rankings and all that good stuff. We love Steve. Um, oh, wow. And one of our other favorite burner accounts, Sonny Pooney's Terrible Taste. <laughs> that's going to be like, that's going to be, I was going to say Steve, but Steve doesn't use Twitter. That's going to be Tony then. He says, wow, this opinion is even worse than mine. <laughs> Then he says, spoiler alert, in case you missed it, I ranked Shout Out the Devil five spots below Bad English and six spots below Winger. I am the Tom Brady of terrible musical taste. <laughs> oh, man. All right. That's some Twitter stuff. Zeus, what do we oh. got for some uh, some uh, off the book of face? Angry Anderson yeah. is the lead singer for Rose Tattoo. <laughs> oh, Jesus. We're going to get more hate mail about us not knowing who Rose Tattoo is. Uh, <laughs> the look is... Uh... Tommy plus about eh, 80 pounds. Oh, Jesus. Wow. Okay. Nice. Thanks. All right. So listen, on the book of face, there's over a hundred fucking comments. I, I, I can't get through them all. So that yeah, was crazy. Don't, don't get upset if we didn't read yours, but we read him, but we're not going to might not get to them on this episode. Our buddy, Kevin Jepson. So many amazing memories. When I listened to this record, I got the vinyl with the pentagram. I think that was way more badass. Solid all the way through. My top three are number three, 10 Seconds of Love. Number two, Knock Em Dead Kid. Number one, Red Hot. My top two songs could maybe describe a certain gassy noise I heard expelled <laughs> from Zeus. That was Tom, by the way. Hey, 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 hey. Um, Scott Donaldson. Incredible episode, guys. This is definitely the best album review you've done so far. And oh, my boy. favorite album of the reviewed albums. Keep them coming, boys. Here's to a great year. Adam Nickmeyer. What a treat to see this in my podcast app this morning. After being a huge crew fan during my high school years, I have sort of lost interest after a couple of poor concerts efforts. 
by Vince. It's so cringeworthy now. You can see him on YouTube struggling to find any semblance of decent showmanship. Having said that, they, including Vince, were spectacular on the Feel Good Tour. The songs on this album are so great that I haven't listened to them in a long time. Not sure why Sonny has an issue with Vince here because he sounds awesome. Mick does a lot of work as a single guitarist and rivals EVH for producing metal riffs and licks and making it sound like there are several guitars playing in their concerts. He has been underrated. Great episode. And Tom had this album ranked correctly. Ooh, all right. Sneed Rock. I was excited to see that this was the choice for the last ARC of the year. Huge album on me growing up. Zeus, I was like you as a kid and hated seeing bands get more notoriety than my favorite band which was totally kissed at the time, but this album was undeniable. The album still holds up, although I look at it more from a nostalgic point of view. Zeus, totally disagree with your take on Red Hot. It's a total banger and still revs up the album to this day and was a highlight to see live. Not sure if you guys have read or heard this before, but Tom Warman has gone on record and stated that he always places the worst record second last in the track listing for this album. Ten seconds of love fits that bill. Total shit. Sonny, Knock Him Dead is fucking great. I don't think it's the rehash of anything on this album. Mick's a great guitar player. He's simple because he's working in the framework of Nicky sets. I would be willing to bet if you could hear the original ideas Nicky brings in, it would be pretty sound and boring. I think Mick and, of course, Tommy give it life it needs. Good episode. Happy New Year's, boys. Joe Decker, great episode, guys. I saw crew open for Ozzy on this tour when I was ninth grade. It was Ozzy's Bark at the Moon tour. Woo! That's a that's a good tour. That's Amazing a good show. show. And based on the stories we've all heard, the madness all around on this tour. And Sonny, 220 volt isn't that bad. Way better than any crap poison album. Keep up the great work. I don't know. So it is 220 volt or we don't really know that. Is it too, too low volt or we still don't know. Right. Technically. I don't know. Devin Fox, better known as loose cannon from Cobras and fire. Great ARC app. And then the bonus track at the end, revealing that the original law and order coming back with Sam Watterson and Anthony Anderson. Great news. Most definitely. Oh, most definitely Tom. Yep. No, I was hoping you would say it. <laughs> Sorry, you beat me to it. Yeah, I didn't do it well, so you can say it. Most definitely. <laughs> that was deep, buddy. That uh, made me rock hard. <laughs> okay. <laughs> now that's getting dangerous. <laughs> Woo. Uh, Ray Farrell, thank you guys for reviewing an album worthy of mentioning in the same breath as the classics that ARC started with. Appetite, Peace of Mind, Blizzard of Oz, Pyromania. And I've given you a lot of shit in the past about your awful album selections. But this episode was absolute nostalgia-filled home run. Oh, sorry, Ray. I was a 13-year-old boy in 1983 who thought Kiss and Van Halen were the only uh, bands worth my time. I saw the video for Looks That Killed, and my life was changed forever as the sound, the imagery, the energy helped define my lifelong love of 80s-era metal. Thank you for picking Shout at the Devil instead of the later weaker and massively overrated albums like girls 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 or dr feelgood 100 agree with tom's ranking number one for this album out of the arc albums reviewed this is definitely number one for me where there's complete time steaming pile of shit like bad english or a bona fide classic like shout the devil arc is consistently my favorite listen every month 
Thanks again for the work you do and incredible entertainment content you create. Okay, you don't have to settle down that way. Um, <laughs> Wait till my next pick. You thought bad English was bad. That's all right, oh, Sonny. We, we'll love it no matter what you pick. He's gonna do. He's gonna do the the third album by Dirty Looks. No, the fifth album's better. Fifth, oh, fifth album. Yeah. <laughs> Graham Richley, thank you, thank you, thank you, ARC, for reigniting my love for this classic album. Like Tom, it was a game changer for me. The band that for a time replaced Kiss as the biggest badass band who played killer riffs, looked apart, and felt dangerous. I had a Motley Crue shout the devil patch on the back of my denim jacket. I was 15. Pretty much everything works on this album with me. For a personal top three of Shout at the Devil, I have 10 Seconds to Love, Helter Skelter, closely followed by Looks That Kill and Bastard. No, no red hot. I'm with you, Z. Motley never put out a better album than this. Even Dr. Feelgood has more filler. Thank you, guys. I love ARC for bringing back the focus on these classic albums that they deserve. Nice. Estevez Gutierrez. Uh Uh-oh. You guys are too harsh. While I love 70s Rush, 80s Rush has their moments. And Roll the Bones is a fun song. It's actually hilarious, but has a good song structure and good bass line. Refreshing synth bits and time scan stills is fucking cool and synth pop fun oriented. Maybe you guys are way too close minded and don't respect when there's genuine talent. Even it's music that you don't exactly enjoy. It deserves respect. And yes, Rush did get born pretty quickly after the mid 80s, but that happens to all good bands. Nothing lasts forever. Darken, Rat, Kicks, and even some Poison songs are cool. Quit the hate and do some mushrooms. Expand your palate. Smoking in the boys' room is awesome fun. It actually grooves really well. Motley did nothing bad from Too Fast to Dr. Feelgood. After that, it's all garbage. Is that fucking guy high? First of all, Roll the Bones is 90s rush. Second of all, what are you talking about? Uh, I have a comment. Please. Rush sucks. <laughs> you you got, jerk, you're too, you you're too close get into a fight. If you're you too close minded. You have to have some mushrooms like Esteban or Estevez does over here and, yeah. and, and, and open up. You, you got to free your mind, Craig. <laughs> Docking her rat and kicks. Dude, <clears throat> yeah, kicks. <laughs> Is that Esteban from Stonehill, Tom? Yes. We can have some meatballs. Through. He had a witchy battle, but he had fucking his arms were fucking superior than everybody else's fucking arms. He used to talk about his fucking arms when he would work out in the gym. <laughs> what did he say? He used to call them superior arms. <laughs> he used to do fucking curls, superior and he, arms. And he worked at Brother Mike and he would have meatballs and other fucking trinkets if you wanted <laughs> to buy while you're having a beer. You um, can't be so close minded. You guys have to be too harsh. Fuck. <laughs> Okay. And then they get into like, oh, you can't. Dude, this is a podcast where we talk about music. I am sorry, but if you find it, like, listen to, like, what you want to listen to is three guys going, yeah, that's a good song. It's a good album. Yeah, they tried real hard on that album. I mean, you know, I I think it's good. It's the wrong show. Yeah, it's they're talented musicians. They worked real hard on that. Dude, put a fucking bullet in my head. No, what you instead what you're gonna get is this is awful. This band blows. <laughs> I love the, but that's Vince at his best. Well, nobody said that was good. 
Yeah. <laughs> Vincent is best is not good. Yeah, but he tried really hard. Well, <laughs> trying is not enough because the song sucks. Yeah. You know what? It's like that line from Christmas Vacation. He worked really hard at this. So do dishwashers. <laughs> <laughs> No one cares. I just come on, people. Well, you guys are too hard on this. Shut the fuck up. We're too hard on it. Are you kidding me? We shit worse. on each other's fucking music all the time. Oh, uh, you oh missed an opportunity God. there. We're too hard on us. Get the fuck out. Get the fuck out. You <laughs> if you think we're too hard, then get the fuck out. <laughs> all right. Michael Anderson. This is my go to albums of all time. Zeus, you're spot on about Tommy's drum sound. The production is perfection. Even Vince sounds great. Well, Ooh. before he got fat <laughs> and attempted to kill a would-be dentist on those memes. Oh, Jesus. that anti-dentite bastard! Oh God! Oh, Neil Hansen. I am not an anti-dentite. You're a rabid anti-dentite. Neil Hansen says, "Looking forward to hearing Sonny's horrible opinion." <laughs> Over on Danger. our loud, <laughs> yeah, there you go. Over on our loudcasters page. Why don't you just tell us? <laughs> why don't you just tell us the music you want us to review? Oh no! You've selected Agent Zero. <laughs> Brown eyed <laughs> girl. <laughs> You've selected Bang Tango. Album number four. Um, Matt Wallace. Uh oh, awesome album! Great episode. Did you know that Motley Crue changed their style of their writing logo with each new album? Question for Bukaki Pony. <laughs> oh my god, would you eat a, a mile of Bridget Fonda's butt mud just to be able to kiss her on the chocolate squid hole? <laughs> Ask it for a friend. I gotta stop doing this shit because what? I don't like boys. Yeah. <laughs> Wait, that's the reason you wouldn't do it. Yeah, that's oh. the only reason why you wouldn't do it. He just asked. <laughs> okay. All right, oh. Mike Murphy. Oh God, he's never nice. My reaction upon listening to where Pooney ranked "Knock 'Em Dead" kid, and he's got the meme of Julia Dreyfus there, whatever her name is. Julia. Oh, yeah. Go period, fuck period, yourself, exclamation point. Wow, so angry. Yeah, people are not very friendly. Jason Warden. I grew up in a very religious home where I lived with my dad. My school and church took the dangers of rock so seriously when we were subject to a lot of anti-rock docs like Hell's Bells. It featured ACDC, Motley, and crew. I saw the Looks at Kill video on it and was freaking hooked. F the internal damnation part. Babes, metal, and fire. What nice. 80s 14-year-old male wouldn't be? I haven't listened to Motley in a while, but after the ARC, I've been jamming them. By GGG, they were my favorite band. Kiss, of course, now has that honor. Got to give my boy Tom props. In my opinion, he, only, he not only got the track listing correct, but also the album placement. And Theater of Pain is awesome. Yes. That was going to be my Patreon pick. But went after another seeing this published. By the way, our church elders believe the part of the guitar flying up and sticking in the ceiling did move on from the religion, but not the devil's music. Ooh, okay. Okay. Justin 
Justin Steele. Great review, guys. Some real shockers with the Rankins. Always loved Red Hot. It's a good song for me. Seuss, I swear, I thought he was saying, I'm going to turn on a Jewish boy until you said it wasn't. <laughs> oh, Tom, Jesus. I, I'm t- uh, Tom, I'm with you on Theater Pain. I don't know. I don't know where you rank it, but it's their best album. Theater of Pain? Ooh, ooh, I like it, but it's not that best. Let's be careful. <laughs> wow. Let's still remember it has City Boys Blues on it. Okay. Let's That's just... a great song. Oh, my God. I get the City Boy Blues. Wait a minute. Is that the one that says, they need a lover tonight? Tonight. We need a lover tonight. 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 That's just horrible. <laughs> All right. Over on YouTube. YouTube. Mason Mixon, Shout It the Devil, is a masterpiece, a perfect album. JC, this was amazing. I remember being in grade school, and this was banned for being satanic. They confiscated the cassettes that kids had brought in for school. Being a young kid, this seemed so dangerous. This and Appetite Destruction were two albums that made me rock and roll feel dangerous. It was great time for music. Sadly, they followed it up with Theater of Shame. (laughs) That's mean. (laughs) The Other Steve. Yeah, Zeus, we all heard it. Oh, yeah. Mr. Antonio 2005, great review. Looks like Kill is my favorite crew tune of all time. Is it me or does Danger have some influence of Aerosmith's last child at the very beginning or Dream On? Oh, it's a good call. Anyway, shout out to Sonny for ripping two of my favorite bands of all time, Rush and Pink Floyd in this episode. In wrestling terms, he's drawn some serious heat. I would like to better understand why he has such distaste for these artists. It sounds like he would pick Carl Douglas's Kung Fu fighter over, <laughs> over Russia's Tom Sawyer any day. Kung Fu fighting. I, I like to comment on that, please. Please yeah. do. Pink Floyd sucks. Yeah, I like a couple of Pink Floyd songs, but I've, I don't think I've ever owned a Pink Floyd album. No. I own Dark Side of the Moon. It is a great album. They got some great tunes. There's songs that they have that are just fucking incredible. David Gilmore, if David Gilmore oh. is fucking unbelievable as a guitar player, oh, I'll give him that. Yeah, I, I, I Roger Waters just uh, gets on my nerves. Yeah, he's oh, a yeah. complete fucking asshole, from what I understand. <laughs> yep. Um, Terry the Man. My mom bought me this album for me because they seem to like Kiss wannabes and turned out the album kicked ass. But they went from a kick-ass to sellouts literally overnight with the release of Theater Pain, which is absolute shit. <sighs> Montreal Voots. There you go. Great show, guys. As always, let me paint the scene. Fall of 1983 already had a corner-cut copy of Too Fast for Love album, which had classics, Live Wire, Take Me to the Top, Piece of Your Action. So picked up Shout right when it was released. The pentagram cover, the title track, demonic in the beginning sound, the constant worry at the time that heavy metal was spawned by Satan it was corrupting teens, not the homemade six-hour TDK VHS tapes John Holmes hammering Sika. What the fuck is it? Sika. There's a name. I thought talking about Afa and Sika, the fucking wild Samoans. Made this record a must listen to. So, guess who provided cassette tapes? Maxell XL2 to all his friends in high school. To us, Motley was taken over for Kiss, who were announcing that their makeup was coming off. And here were these guys who looked and sounded back to badass. The episode brought back memories of listening to this LP over and over, especially Side 2, which started with Red Hot, which quickly became my favorite track 
at the time was never a fan of Shout at the Devil and Vince's squealing of the lyrics. Missed their first show in Montreal in 84, General Mitchell with his sack, but saw them for theater pain. Not bad. Dr. Feelgood, fucking amazing. Have to agree with Zeus, though. 10 Seconds of Love is a classic and gets the volume turned up every single time he plays. Anyone know how to take Zeus's rectal solo and create a demo for Knock 'em Dead Kid? <laughs> that's nice. Um, and that's what I got. I think you guys have some email. Yeah, Sonny, why don't you start with a couple of emails? All right. Uh, first one's from Mac Maddie. Uh, hey, fellas, great review on Shout. Crew has been a love-hate relationship for me, but nostalgia keeps me connected. My sister was a huge fan, and it's possible she did Tommy and Mick, but that's a story for another day. <laughs> wow. Together? Okay. When she got married, her husband told her to get rid of all her hair metal records. I wonder if he knew that she did Tommy and Mick. Yeah, right. And and had her start listening to real music like Michael Bubble Bobblehead or whatever his name is. Bublé. So I was handed every original 80s album and cassette she had. Anyway, yeah. thanks for the great listen. Well, then oh my God, that's Mac awesome. has some stuff that's worth a lot of money. That's what Hell that is. I guess so. Uh, Angelo Capasso. Sounds like he needs a... Should there be a theme song there? We might have to give him one. Angelo Capasso? Yeah. Yeah. I've already got two Italian theme. uh, Fucking Joey has the Godfather. We have... What's his name? Pinocchio. He has his The Godfather theme, the dance song. We got to give something to Angelo someday. So his title was Crew Plus Leopard Equals Hot Babes. Hi, guys. I went to the Pyromania and shouted out Devil Tours within a year or so apart. I could be off on my dates, though. But damn, as a 15-year-old horny kid, I had trouble concentrating on the concerts. By far, those two concerts stack up as the best show I've ever been to for seeing horny, screaming babes letting it all hang out. And I mean all out. Now back to Devil. This album kicks ass. I agree both Mars is an underrated guitarist, and Tommy definitely solidifies the band with his drum riffs. On the Devil Tour, Tommy only flipped 45 degrees in the air, not like the 360 he did later on on the drum kit, which was awesome. What Tommy may lack in some technical skills on the drums he makes up for as a show drummer, he's both great at drumming and even more entertaining to watch. It's been a great year, guys. Here's to an even better 2022 with SIOL, ARC, and Zeppelin Chronicles. Love you guys, Angelo. Yeah, Angelo. Thank you, buddy. And uh, we'll wrap up with a few more emails here. We got our buddy Stephen Wood. Thanks for another thoroughly enjoyable episode. Some background. My school buddy and I were both Kiss fanatics, and we quickly spent every cent we could glean off our parents to buy albums. There was no way to hear them other than either take a leap of faith based on the cover or base our purchases on recommendations from magazines like Hit Parader. I only bought LPs, but he bought both LPs and cassettes, and one one of them that he bought was Shout at the Devil. When he played it for me, it blew my mind. I loved Vince's voice and mixed tone, but I was into Kiss Maiden Priest and Crude didn't quite fit into my closed-minded taste. But my friend's parents were religious conservatives. They knew he was buying records. They knew I influenced him to do it, but they didn't know exactly what they were. Until one day they rifled through his collection, which included Shout at the Devil, Speak of the Devil by Ozzy, Number of the Beast by Maiden. They must have had a collective aneurysm because they ordered him to throw them out lest he be corrupted by Satan. 
Ooh, and then he continues and gives us another great story about all that. Oh, the great, that's great. I love hearing stories like that. It's a great email, Stephen. Thanks, buddy. We appreciate that. Um, we got a quick one here from Casa de Leon. Great review, guys. I hated Pooney's opinions so much that the rest of this email will not have any vowels in the words. And then he what? really did. And then he really went and wrote a sentence with no vowels. And I am not going to try to read it. So thank you. <laughs> then we got one from Jerry Blackwell, who I think we're convinced might be Sonny Pooty himself. Oh, good Lord. Here we go. <laughs> so I heard the episode when it came out. I shared it with a friend and the friend shares that he loved the in the beginning spoof thing. I'm like, what spoof thing? So I listen again, and it's there. I could have sworn it wasn't there the first time I listened to it. Must have missed it. What is the person exactly saying? I listened several times and think I have it figured out, but I'm not sure. Either way, what a great episode and great album. Thanks for doing this album. So what Jerry is referring to is Sonny Pooney recorded a special intro for that episode based on the in the beginning intro. And when you first downloaded it, when it dropped, it may not have been there, but it's there now if you go back and listen to it. That is because Sonny sent it to me a couple days before we were doing the episode. So when I actually edited the episode, I didn't put it in. Tom heard the episode in the morning and said, hey, where's that Sonny thing? Like, what's Sonny thing? Oh, fuck. <laughs> so I edited it at 11 o'clock. So those that edit that downloaded the episode before 11, you missed it. You missed it. All you would have to do now, if you want to hear it, is delete it and then re-download the episode. It'll be there. Yeah, it's pretty good. So did a great job. Yeah. Very cool. Did the voice changer and everything. It's awesome. Yeah, I was trying to find what I, I had said, but I, I can't readily find it. Well, that's okay. We'll make people go back and listen to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, so that's that's uh, that's feedback from Motley Crue's Shout of the Devil. And our number one listened to ARC episode ever. Oh, yeah, by far. It's yep. not even close. Yep. And uh, most feedback, most everything. Shout at the Devil by Motley Crue. I, I don't know. Are you surprised by that being the number one? Uh, uh, well... Maybe a little bit, but not really blown away by it. No. Okay. It's a big album for for a lot of people. Yeah. yeah and it fits, you know, it, it fits the folks that would listen to a podcast like this, right? They yep. love the 80s. Yep. There's not very many people that hate crew. They hate parts of crew. I don't even hate all of crew, right? I still listen to crew. I thought but, Highway to Hell would be the. Uh, if it was back in black, it would be. But I don't think Highway Maybe. to Hell. Maybe. Uh, mm. It's just. It's one generation older, right? So, yep. Yep. You got a point. You got a point. True. So, we try to start this new year with something different. Instead of doing a group pick, there are three, uh, three of us. We each get three picks a year. And then we'd also have a group pick, thereby having 12 picks an, a year. Well, we decided to give our Patreon listeners and subscribers an opportunity to get more involved in the show. And we let them select. We gave them the choices and they submitted them to us. There was only two people that picked the same album. So we're like, okay, then that's one of the selections. 
And then me, Tom, and uh, Sonny looked at everybody else, single selection, and we narrowed it down and gave everybody a choice of four albums to choose from. Obviously, one of them was Slave to the Grind. What were the other three, Tom? So it got narrowed down to these four from the submissions. Skid Row, Slave to the Grind, which won in a landslide. Judgment Night, the original motion picture soundtrack. Black Label Society Mafia and Gin Blossom's New Miserable Experience. Now, we got a ton of picks. Pretty much every single patron submitted a pick. And I'll tell you right now, a lot of them were really, really good. But Slave to the Grind made it. We had two people submit Slave to the Grind. And we knew that if we threw that in the poll, it was going to crush whoever. And it did. Yeah, I believe. It went slave to the grind and then gin blossoms a way distant second. Yep. And then everything else was, I think, tied with a couple picks each. Yep. Right. Yep. Pretty so, much. Yep. So we're going to do slave to the grind. And because it's our first Patreon pick, we thought we'd throw a little extra in there. And Jericho is going to join us in a little bit to talk slave to the grind. Um, I believe Tom is picking next. Yes. And then Sonny, then myself, and we're going to swing around to the Patreon picks. So everybody that wants to get involved, jump in on Patreon. You got plenty of time for our next selection. And who knows what we're picking next. But in the meantime, let's start working on uh, Slave to the Grind. Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right. You'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. And uh, let's add our buddy, Chris. Oh, oh there he is. Oh, fuck's sakes, man. They didn't tell me either. What the fuck? <laughs> you just dropped it on him. This is like when Rod Smallwood orchestrated the reunion of Bruce Dickinson and Steve Harris. He didn't tell the other guy that the other guy was going to be there. And that's how they got them back together. So this is how they got us back together, Pooney. 
<laughs> nice. I thought the first time or the next time we might see each other would be a Creatures Fest. That's why. Ah, yeah. That'd be pretty yeah. cool. That should be fun. We're all going to make it, man. It's going to be fun. So, Jericho, so tell us, why did you want to join us for Skid Row Slave to the Grind? Well, first of all, I got to appreciate your professionalism now after doing this for 17 <laughs> years and 55 <laughs> mediocre episodes. You finally brought me on on Zoom, not shitty Skype. Jesus. I, I always love listening to your guys' shows with the different albums. I listened to most of them. The last one you guys did was... Shout of the Devil. Shout of the Devil, which was great. I really enjoyed that one. Thank um, you. And then you had mentioned we, we have our group text that we talk quite a bit, bitching about whatever's going on and a lot of different things. <laughs> And um, you guys mentioned Slave to the Grind, and I thought, uh, well, Skid Row is, is one of my favorite bands uh, as far as those three albums goes. They're a band much like the Sex Pistols uh, in that they never made a bad record because they broke up before they had a chance to. Um, I know there's been records after, but if you're talking about the classic, classic lineup, for sure. Yeah. yeah. Yep. And uh, I thought it'd be great to, to hang out and uh, shoot the breeze with you about that record because it was a very monumental record in a lot of different ways, which we'll get into, uh, and a monumental record for me as well. Yeah, well, this is a big deal because this is the first Patreon pick for our album oh. review crew. So so this was selected by our Patreons. So they don't even know that you're going to be on until they see yeah. it and hear it. So this is going to be a big, a big thrill for them. So... So well, why don't we just get into it? So, Chris, you, you you just talked about Skid Row. What we usually do is just talk about, like, our first yes. kind of, like, experience with the album. Like, do you remember when you bought it or when you first heard it or what? First of all, I can't stop looking at Sonny Pooney's Vince McMahon 1988 haircut. <laughs> <laughs> Whoa, really? Pompadour, right? <laughs> don't you basically have a mullet? You're making fun of my hair? <laughs> no, I got it. I got to clip back. It's like Game of Thrones style now. It's I love cool. this. This it's is cool fantastic. Nowadays. Um, so Skid Row, uh, when they came out, uh, probably, I think it was 89 with the first record, everybody really dug it. Um, just to kind of get right to it. When this record came out, Slave to the Grind was about summer of 91, which was yep. my first summer as a, as a, as a, as a actual pro wrestler. I trained in the summer of 90. So the summer of 91 is when we were actually doing some drives, I remember we had to drive down to a really shitty little show in Pomona, California from Calgary, which was a nice, you know, three day drive. And I think slave came out right around the time when we were driving down there. So it was one of those ones that when you have a certain time of your life where you're doing road trips and stuff, this was one of the records that was played over and over. And I remember someone had warned me that this record is really heavy. And I was like, Really? Well, how heavy can it be? It's Skid Row. And I'm thinking, you know, can't stand the heartache and that sort of stuff. And then uh, Monkey Business, Slave to the Grind, the threat. It's just one after another after another. And it's like, holy shit, this is really heavy. Um, and that's kind of what really made me realize there, the, the Skid Row is one of those bands, much like, let's say, Cinderella in a different direction. Had they not come out in 89, they probably would have been a lot bigger. Uh, Skid Row was not a, a hair metal band. They were much more of a, I don't want to say a Pantera band because they weren't, although that was a great tour for them. They were much more of kind of a modern Judas Priest at the time, very heavy and catchy. Whereas Cinderella was much more like a Black Crows type of a band, but they were both given this hair metal moniker, which I think limited them and really hurt them as the years went by. But at this point in time, this was their peak because, and I'll end it off with this and hand it over to you guys. This record, uh, I'm sure we'll discuss, 
along with three other huge records of this year, went to number one on the Billboard charts, where 91 was the first year that SoundScan, which is Billboard is based on, was, uh, was, was uh, relevant or was happening, was the system. And it was Slave to the Grind. It was the Black Album. It was uh, 50, uh, not 5150, uh, For Unlawful Carnal Knowledge. And yep. then it was the Use Your Illusion records. And they yep. all came out within a four or five month period. So this was one of them. Very, very impressed with just how heavy it was and very surprised pleasantly. And this really kicked open the door for Skid Row to be one of my favorite bands, especially at that time frame. Mm. Sonny, what about you? Yeah, for me, I love the first album. Uh, at this point, by the time this album's coming out, I'm 21. So I'm knee deep in live music. I'm still trying to get in the music business, like booking gigs and managing bands, but that didn't work yeah. out too well. But I was in the clubs five, five to probably seven nights a week. So when I first heard Slave of the Grind being marketed, I was like, all right, I'm looking forward to this. This is cool. Got the CD the first day. I was already working for a retailer, so it was easy to get. I bought both kinds. Like I bought the clean and the dirty version because, you know, got to have everything. And I remember seeing a couple of videos on MTV, and uh, I'm like, man, this ain't no I remember you. Like, what the right. hell happened to these guys, right? Right. And what's interesting is, you know, I'm a believer that every four years, is a new musical generation because the music changes mm-hmm. and Skid Row is one of, one of the few bands that they came in at the tail end of whatever you want to call hair metal and got guys like me. And then the next album gets heavier and they get the next generation too, yeah. because the music is changing. So they ended up bridging both. So it's very interesting that, well, the four of us probably don't agree on a lot of music, but Skid Row would be one of the bands that we agree on. And it just so happens that they kind of bridge both things. So I like, I really, really loved the first album. Um, so we'll get to how I felt about this album later. The, the, the thing to just interject quickly, the reason why Skid Row was one of those bands that was able to almost bridge the gap. And had there not been the complete sea change and shift in musical styles and had Sebastian and the guys not completely broken up forever, they could have been a Guns N' Roses level, a Judas Priest level, uh, not an Iron Maiden level, but but they could, and maybe not a Guns N' Roses either, but they could have been that second tier of main event level bands because two reasons. One, Dudes like us like the music. Heavier guys like Pantera like the music. And here's the most important thing. And you know what I'm going to say? The, the chicks. chicks. The chicks. Mm-hmm. <laughs> love the music. And they love Sebastian Bach, who at the time, I used to say, if you could go into a, a, a laboratory and you were a mad scientist and create the perfect rock star, Sebastian Bach would be the perfect rock star. All across the board, checks every box and everything. And so I think that's another reason why Skid Row was able to bridge the gap and could have even gone farther was because the girls really enjoyed the band as well. Zeus, what about you, bud? All right. For me, I got into the first album. I mean, I'm buying everything that comes out. Uh, As soon as these new bands hit and they get on the rotation, MTV's top 20 videos, uh, Headbangers Ball, I got into Skid Row. Especially since there's a Bon Jovi connection. I was I love Bon Jovi. So bought the first album, loved it. Catchy as all hell. And and Bach for me is likable. Like I liked him. I liked like I, he wasn't a type of guy like ah fuck Breck Michaels or fuck the guy from Warren. Like he's a guy that was like kind of cool and macho too. And had a personality, he, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And he and he looked kind of he may have looked 
girlish a little because he was so good looking back then, but he didn't act that way. Swearing all the time, getting into trouble. It's fun. So this thing comes out and I have such vivid memories. So you talk about your first trip and you're going on your first wrestling thing. Well, for us, I go to Stonehill first week in college. I show up. He's down the hall, Tom. I come in. I got the whole stack stereo system. My speakers were about as almost as high as me. I bring <laughs> these into our little shit dorm rooms, right? Nobody really knows anybody, but I put on monkey business because I think I'm the coolest kid in the fucking hallway. Blasting monkey business. This stereo is just fucking going nuts. And it was all because of this. It's the first thing I remember playing my first year, first day, getting into my first meeting with these guys from college. So it stuck. It, it stood with me. I got it the first day it came out. I watched the videos. I loved it. But the problem is, as me and Tom were talking about before we went on the radio, uh, before we went on the air. Here, on the radio. <laughs> on the radio. Um, <laughs> once we went to college, we didn't have we didn't have cable TV when we were at college. So I missed out on the videos following up. I caught monkey business, but all the other like singles and videos and stuff. We were at school. We didn't really see them, but I still blasted this album and I fell in love with it way back then. But you're right. I felt the same thing. Like this isn't really, <laughs> this isn't really like the first album. Mm. It's uh, a little anthraxy and I'm not into uh, thrash. Mm. I wasn't into it. And I'm like, what the hell are they doing? But I feel like Skid Row was that LA guns, faster pussycat guns and roses transition away from the glam. And they kind of were part of that as well. You know, their fucking bass player's got a nose ring to his lip, you know, all sorts of crazy shit going to his ear, excuse me. You know, they're not wearing the, I don't know, shiny, bright spandex stuff. They're kind of, you know, yeah, tearing it down, the they, look and everything. They looked hard, as you would say in England. They, they looked... You know, once again, first album pictures aside, and you look at the first Guns N' Roses album pictures, yep. there was a lot of hairspray and all that sort of stuff. But they had an East Coast vibe, uh, a East Coast Guns N' Roses vibe, where even though Sebastian was pretty, he was tall. He, mm-hmm. he just, he, he, and we know he was off his rocker because we heard the stories. Other guys looked pretty nutty. Uh, Rachel was very punk rock. And, and yeah. Snake, they never tried. They weren't pretty guys. I mean, Snake is not a good looking guy. And if he was on the, the show right now, he'd be laughing, saying, I'm the ugliest guy ever. Best guy in the world, by the way. Snake and Rachel are, are just amazing guys. They fit right in with, with our world here. But they never tried to be that way. They weren't trying to, to shove it into the into the bag. They knew what they looked like, and they knew it was cool because they did look cool, but they didn't look pretty. But that worked to their advantage, much like Guns N' Roses as well. Mm-hmm. Tom, who's stretching his shoulder? He's frozen. <laughs> yeah, so oh, I'm frozen. Oh, okay, there he is. Uh-oh. Okay, now I'm on frozen. Hey, by the way, no pun intended. Um, He's frozen. Yeah. Get it? If this was subhuman race. Oh, uh, there you go. Okay. So I'm kind of on an island here with Skid Row because I, I liked the first album. Um, uh, you know, me and Zeus, pretty much all of us are, are within the same age range. So I was into the hair metal. I was into the metal, the late, the mid 80s, late 80s. But this particular album caught me at a at a really awkward or I should say odd time because it came out literally when we graduated high school and getting ready for college in the fall of 91. It came out right in the summer of 91. And at that time, I had. I was still listening to what you would consider hair metal in the nineties, 
Nirvana had come out with Nevermind. Um, I was starting to drift away from the glam stuff and listening to, I was really into Hot in the Shade by Kiss. I was listening to more Metallica stuff, even some of their back catalog. So I had started to veer away from some of the glammy hair metal stuff. And I knew all the hits from Skid Row's first album was loaded with hits. And I liked them all, Youth Gone Wild, all that good stuff. This album came out, never owned it. Okay. But I do remember hearing Monkey Business and being like, what the fuck is going on with Skid Row? These guys, this is insane. And then I hear the title track, Slave to the Grind. I was like, holy shit. These guys are like, they are really positioning themselves to like take on the world with like Metallica and Guns N' Roses. And this album kind of did that for them a little bit. They toured with Guns N' Roses. Then they do a tour with Pantera and Soundgarden, which you talk about a, a versatile audience right there. You're talking grunge. That, uh, that. <laughs> <laughs> you were just. <laughs> the rats are chewing through the cable. Metal That's what's happening grunge. right and now. Pantera was out of their minds metal. And then you had... Oh God! Is it just me? God, that's a pain in the ass. It's just you. Um, but yeah, but 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 yeah, but 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 for me, the album is extremely heavy. And, and Chris, you you said it, it. They they could have they could have positioned themselves to take on the first half of the '90s if they if they had stuck together. I know Subhuman Race. A guy like Eddie Trunk always talks about how underrated and underappreciated that album is. Um, but you know, Skid Row they just kind of ran they just kind of ran out of steam a little bit, and it might have been because of Bach. I don't know. Well, it was too late. That was 1995. So when you're talking about yeah. 91 when this came out, and you mentioned that Nevermind was just around the corner, I think it came out almost around the same time frame, within a couple months. Yeah. So, so the monster was already born, but but Skids could have, they could have rode the wave a bit more. Like you said, I think if they had the the chemistry that a Pantera had or a Metallica had to not be fighting and arguing and having all the issues that they had, they might have been able to take it on a little bit better because this record, like you said. When Slave to the Grind, the title track came on the first time, I was like, I can't believe this. Like, this literally is Metallica. Like, yep. you know, and and it wasn't just like, well, let's do one thrash song on the record to be cool. The rest of it, and, and maybe as we get into it, it might have be, even been too much over the line uh, for, for them, but it's still totally re- established who they were as a band and let you know that they weren't fucking around. They were ready to, to, to take on the world at that point. All right. So let me give you a couple of the facts. Slave to the Grind released June 11th, 1991. Uh, Michael Wagner, the famous producer, produced it. He also produced a debut. It went to number one, as uh, Chris had early said. It's a second studio album. So it was the first one to debut on the new on uh, Nielsen SoundScan at number one on the Billboard's 200. The only other previous debut that made it to number one was your buddy Elton John, Tom. Captain mm-hmm. Fantastic and the Brown Dirt Cowboy. Great album. <laughs> it's the first heavy metal album to chart at number one. Sold 134 copies. It's opening week. It made it all the way up to double platinum, uh, which is surprising because I thought it did more than that. But I bet you they're not checking you know, they probably haven't. Uh, I'll tell it. you the reason why it didn't do more than that when we get into it. Yeah, sure, sure, sure. Um, and again, uh, they had their big hit debut album. They go into this second album uh, and really hit it out of the park. But it's really a big pivotal point in music and everything's changing. And, uh, you know, eventually uh, it's almost the 
as as high as they get, it's almost the beginning of the end as well. Yeah. Um, anybody else want to add anything to the uh, just the, uh, some of the facts on the album? No, I just think I mean uh, you know, Chris, maybe maybe you could maybe kind of comment on this too because. The first, the debut album was huge, obviously, for Skid Row, and it put them in a position to make an album like this. Were, were there any fans out there at the time who, I mean, we were all impressed and we were all shocked and blown away by the heaviness and the hardness of this album. But sometimes when bands go so far, like, different, I guess, yeah. for lack of a better word, did anybody think that Skid Row was trying to be something that they weren't? I don't think that they were trying to be something more, but I think what they forgot, and I'll bring it up right now. Okay. They forgot. We mentioned the chicks and yeah. this record has three ballads on it. Yes, it does. There are three very dark and heavy ballads. Great you compare point. Them to 18 and life, which was dark and heavy, but it was much more commercial. Melodic. Uh, and then especially, uh, um, I remember you, yeah. there is no, I remember you on this record. And nothing even comparatively close. So when you're talking about Youth Gone Wild, fuck yeah, we got Monkey Business and we got Slave to the Grind and we've got all those tunes. But when you talk about the other two big hits they had, they didn't match up with, with the way that, you know, like uh, In a Darkened Room and Quicksand Jesus and uh, Wasted Time. They're all great songs, but they didn't either get the right promotion for whichever one they chose or maybe they didn't know which one to choose. But they didn't have that one song that if I went upstairs right now and grabbed my wife and came downstairs, what's your favorite Skid Row song? She would say, I remember you. Boom. What's your second favorite? Uh, is it was 18 Life? Is there an 18? Like, you know what I mean? Like, I remember you was the one that the girls would be like, yeah. And they didn't have that. And I think that's one of the reasons why it didn't go higher up the food chain. With the guys, we embraced it. And the girls, because Baz was at his peak, embraced it to a point but the average fan didn't get that one tune that you could slow dance with your girl with and make out in a car too. It's a great point. And that's kind of what I was getting at. So yeah. you, you, you had, you had the hardness of the debut album, but you also had the pop sensibilities of, of youth gone wild and 18 in life. And of course I remember you. And then even some of the other songs and you're right, they went so hard and so heavy and so dark, even lyric, like lyrically, like you said, yeah. the ballads on this, and we'll get to them. They're all, none of them are love songs. They're all very, very dark and serious yeah. songs lyrically. And uh, to me, I, that caught me by surprise as I really spent a lot of time with this album. We'll get into it when we break down the tracks, but uh, because I said earlier, I've never owned this album. So my familiarity, wow. my, my familiariarity with it is, is extremely limited. Um, That's amazing to me. You never owned this record. That's never crazy. owned this record. Nope. You're Sonny? too busy uh, listening to Detonator. <laughs> <laughs> that was my pick. Okay. <laughs> I don't think he owned that either. I never <laughs> owned Detonator either. I didn't own that either. Nope. <laughs> no, it's a good point because the problem is, is there are other bands haven't got away from it, right? So yeah. there's still a November rain. Bon yes. Jovi's still doing his. So if you're going to walk away from or alienate, some girls initially, like even these five singles, think about it. They had two top 10 singles with I Remember You and 18 Life. All five, only one of these five even hit the charts and it didn't smell the top 40. And just, and Sonny, just to back that up, I had no idea there was five singles from this. Yeah. No idea. I thought there was two. I thought it was Monkey Business and Slave. I had no idea. So yeah. that, that proves your point right there. And like six videos too. 
Wow, really? <laughs> oh, yeah. Damn. Six video. Yeah. Unbelievable. Yeah. That's amazing. I had no idea. I think one of the problems is when I did some research, you know, mind you, I, I did the hit parader and circus and stuff, but I don't remember the fact. But when I look back and I started looking into the band and stuff, so the background is that uh, Dave, uh, the guitarist Sabo and Rachel Boland really started this band. Yes. And Dave had grown up around Bon Jovi. Bon Jovi helped them out, really mm-hmm. did. And uh, we led to a little bit of tension between Sebastian and him later on and others that he got a cut off if they made it because they put him on his tour. And yep. so when Skid Row opened for them, if they did some, uh, you know, their numbers got better. Uh, I guess JPJ was making some money off it. Yes. And eventually they got pissed off. Of it. But regardless, if you look at the lyrics and look at who's writing, this band consisted of the four of them. And then they finally got, after a few tries of different singers, Bach in. So to me, I always, it, maybe it's just me, but I feel like Bach wasn't part of them. And his There's, personality, yeah, his personality is so large. And mm-hmm. he's not the principal songwriter that, like, uh, you bring in Scott Weiland, STP, or Kurt and Nirvana, who writes all the lyrics, or Cornell writes all the lyrics, so he can kind of be on his own island because they need him. Yeah. Bach is the personality and he's got the voice and he does a lot of stupid shit, but he's not doing any of the music. Those guys are. And I think it led to a little bit of a tension going on with them to this day. Yeah, because they're like, yeah. fuck it. I don't need that shit. When, I don't, I, we don't get along with him. So I don't want him around. I did a, a deep dive on Talk is Jericho with Snake and Rachel about the first record on the 30th anniversary. And the only song that Sebastian has a credit on, I think, is Making a Mess. And when mm-hmm. I said to Rachel, like what did Sebastian do? And he said, I don't know. He goes, I have no idea what he did. I don't even know why he has a songwriting credit. I have no idea. I'm, <laughs> I'm assuming it's probably the same for all of the credits that Baz has on this record, where it really does drive him crazy that he didn't write any of the songs. And he'll always say, well, I came up with the this note. And and listen, we don't need to get into the, the yeah, whole yeah. Baz thing, but it doesn't fucking matter what note you come up with. The song is the song. The music is the music. And the melody is the melody. If you decide to hold a note longer, which is the most famous note of all time, doesn't make you a songwriter. (laughs) It it means you contributed as the singer of the band. And that's what the job of the singer is to do. If I come up with the greatest guitar solo of all time for yesterday, I don't get a songwriting credit. You know, Eddie Eddie Van Halen didn't get a songwriting credit for Beat It because he played a wicked guitar solo on it. He was the musician that played guitar. And I think that was one of the reasons that really drove skid row apart because yep. snake and rachel were, were like dude this is not how it works and we're sticking to their guns and that kind of led to a lot of issues yeah and when you look at it and you read all the like shit wait a minute who wrote this who wrote this all the music all the lyrics and it's Every- like the bass player and the guitar guy and then they bring him in and eventually you know they got sick of the antics and the and the drama we, we weren't there who knows who's really at fault but they're like fuck it we don't need them and so i think that tension and the group dynamic didn't help them in extending after their peak, after Slave to the Grind. Right. And I think they had some issues there. And unfortunately, it uh, didn't allow them to continue to grow. Um, but anyways, we talked a little bit about the album facts. Uh, how about the cover? Anyone want to take this? I was Sonny's shaking his head. Go ahead, Sonny. This cover is complicated. This cover feels serious, right? This cover does not say, come do me, come woo me, come fuck me. It doesn't say, I mean, this thing is crazy. 
And every time I look at the cover, I feel like I find something new because like the guy, the red tie, is that supposed to be JFK or Trump? Like, I don't even know. <laughs> it's JFK. <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? Like, every time I see this cover, I'm like, is that guy holding a TV? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, you know, just a quick thing on Wikipedia. It says that it's, you know, you got medieval times, but people are holding modern technology in their hands. Yeah. The guy that did this is his father, apparently. Yep. That's, uh, father. Yeah. 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 He's uh, the artist that drew this or painted the cover art. His name is uh, David Burke. Yes, that's it. That's it. And uh, yeah, it's a little complicated. You got a, a tattooed. I don't know, Lita Ford here in the middle. I don't know who that is. You're in a nun's habit. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what the hell's going on. You got Pocahontas in this. You got little Cupids running around, JFK. Yeah, and, and it's and it's and it's based on um Caravaggio's The Burial of St. Lucy, an old painting from the 1600s. And if you look at that painting, that original, it's like exactly it. Like you can see that they've changed some of the some of the things like for the for this album cover here, but in my mind, you didn't Google that. You just know that, Tom. Like you, you studied like modern art or something. You have oh, you have no idea. You have no idea, Chris. <laughs> when you listen to Shout It Out Loudcast, you are going to learn shit, my learn. friend. Uh, for yeah. me, the imagery on this, I liked it because it is very strange, and I like. Um, it's very much like a, a Van Halen album cover mm. or a Zeppelin album cover, yep. in that it really doesn't describe what. The, you know, physical graffiti is a great cover, but it doesn't really say anything. You could have easily just put like a chick and sprayed graffiti on her, but that's way too literal. I kind of like this much like, uh, you know, a fair warning or something where it's just this kind of a cool imagery. The fact that Sebastian's dad drew it. So it kind of there's a reason for it. Drew it, painted it, I should say. Uh, so I thought it was always pretty cool. I liked it way better than the first. And the third Skid Row album covers, yeah, which I thought were as stock as, as could be. So at least it had some personality and originality to it. What about their uh, little EP? Remember this one? Was that Mort Drucker? <laughs> I don't know who the hell this is. <laughs> little Mad myself. Magazine humor for you guys. Yeah. 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 Then you got the CD itself <laughs> had the images of the band, the mm. five faces. That's cool. I remember thinking that was cool back then. Like, yeah. Oh, wow. That's unique. Yeah. Now, on That's the unique. front cover, this dude in the white shirt, is he getting executed, getting beat up? Is he getting helped up? Like, what's happening with him? It looks like a scene from Assassin's Creed, the game. And somebody got knocked down to the ground. It's almost something. like he's wearing some kind of a weird diaper, too. Like, I don't know. I know. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> yeah. So it's a very strange uh, imagery yeah. there, for sure. Yeah. So, um, ready to get into the tracks? Before we do, I got a quick story for us. A lot of males uh, on this panel, all of us. Talking very macho uh, record. I'm sure there's mostly guys listening. Maybe you got a huge fan base because of the sexiness of Zeus. I'm not sure. Yeah. But I will tell you a quick story. Yeah. I was a bouncer in the early 90s because it was the only job that I had where I could go take time off to go on the road. My manager was a big wrestling fan. So whenever you're in town, come in. So I would come in. And basically, I never fought anybody. I, I, I would just go and, and hang out and listen to music and try and pick up chicks. Right? I was 21 years old or whatever it was. So one night... I picked up this girl. And this is not like a Playboy story, but she was actually, I could still remember she was a really hot chick. She looked like the chick in Can't Buy Me Love that takes Ronnie out, uh, one, of, uh, one of the friends. And she yeah. goes, there's only one titty this pretty, and here it is. She looked <laughs> like that girl. So I drove all the way after work to South Calgary, which is about 30 minutes away. And she was probably staying at some uh, duplex, we used to call them, two, two houses, but they're conjoined. 
And I remember I, I went and uh, I started to to make out with her, and she was, you know, very, very. Uh, we became, as Gene Simmons say, we became fast friends, and one thing led to another. And she takes off her clothes, and her panties are Skid Row panties, where it says Skid Row on the front, and they're black and they're skimpy and they're silk. And on the back, it says Slave to the Grind. And I was like, "This is the Whoa. best world." Wow. So I don't know if you guys, wow. if, you, if you think I'm lying, you can probably go online and on eBay and find these slave to the grind women's panties, uh, black satin and skimpy. So there you go. By the way, her name was Amanda Peterson and she was no, smoking. Up. No, no, that Amanda was the Peterson star of the movie. Blonde girl. This girl's name was Darcy uh, something or other. I'll oh, are you talking about the two chicks that were chasing? Yeah, him? they're two no, best friends. Chris, no, and she was one also, of them was like a porn star. That woman was smoking hot. I know what you're talking. That's about. what she looked like. I'm not oh. making it up. Yeah, Chris, she was also in Friday the Thirteenth Part Six. Jason lives. Darcy oh. DeMoss. Darcy DeMoss. Darcy DeMoss. Oh, damn. Yeah. Damn. damn. Yes. But uh, follow on Instagram, Darcy, if you're listening. Follow me so we can uh, <laughs> reminisce. Put on your skid row panties because we know that you're listening to shout it out loud. Uh, yeah. Album review crew. Um, but dude, honestly, I don't want to hear any girl pulling down their pants and seeing anything about skid. Written <laughs> on their- <laughs> that is not a good visual. <laughs> if that's what you were thinking, if you're in my position, then you've got problems, buddy. That's why you're you and I'm me. Oh, my mind goes to the worst. All right, let's get to the first song, and it's this. Well, outside my window, there's a whole lot of trouble coming. The cats and killers and the rank of a ghost. greatest uh riff riffs uh from this era or any era of hard rock heavy metal i also love the way that it's i love the fact they started the album with this because in my mandela effect mind's eye i was thinking that they started with slave to the grind and then like holy smokes they did not they started with with monkey business and the fact it came in like a lamb you know bluesy it's got the uh uh falling apart at the seams Cinderella type thing, yes, yes. rise to it type of vibe, but it was just kind of like, where are they going with this? And then when it just explodes with that 
killer. Like once again, I can't tell you how much I love Sebastian Bach's vocals, especially at this time. That scream is second to none. It's just like, holy shit. It gives me goosebumps thinking about it now. And it's something I still use for every Fozzie record. When your band has been gone for a year, two years, three years, you know, eight years, if it's Metallica or whatever, you want to hear something that blows your fucking mind. And we've heard it a couple of times where they'll use kind of a different song. And it's like, I want to come out of this, this gate, just boom, boom, boom. And that's what this song does for me. Uh, One of the greatest, like I said, one of the greatest tunes from this era, one of my favorite Skid Row songs. And if I had to compute in my mind, which we'll probably be able to do in a few years and have a computer printout of my favorite songs, you know, this one would probably be in the top 30 or 40 for sure. To this day, um, Cowbell is always great. It just it's dirty. It's, it's, it's slimy. Uh, it's catchy. And uh, it still has a great pop sensibility to it where you can sing along to it. Great song all across the board. Sonny. <laughs> I was pissed off at Cinderella. I'm going to start with Cinderella because I loved <laughs> night songs. Yeah. So as they grew in the albums, it became bluesier and bluesier. I'm like, what the hell is going on? Dude, just release some of the night songs. That's what I want. Right. So when I first heard Monkey Business, I'm like, oh, fuck no. Here we go. We got another Cinderella band happening. Blues, yeah. I, he almost, they almost lost me in the first like 20 seconds. <laughs> I was about to turn that shit off, throw it out the window. That scream after just a few seconds. And I'm like, oh, okay. All right. I can handle this. This is good. <laughs> it is an outstanding beginning track. Now, I'll tell you though, a lot of these songs, and it's going to come up a couple of times. It almost feels like Sebastian is rapping sometimes because there's too many goddamn lyrics in some of this stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right. So it makes it hard for you to understand what Sebastian's saying. And I don't know if that was the intent when Rachel and Snake and Scotty wrote that stuff or if that's Sebastian changing the vocal melody as he's trying to sing it. I don't know what it is. But in this one, it works. I don't usually like the gang backing vocals, blah, blah. But in this song, everything they're doing, it works. They do some of the same stuff in other songs later on, and it doesn't seem to work. So I don't know. There's some flavor and recipe that's working on this song and them to punch you in the head right out of the gate. Yeah, it's a winner for me, for sure. There, there, there's something with Snake and Rachel's lyrics. I, I don't know if they write them together or if it's just mostly Rachel, but there's a lot of imagery, dime store hood, and like yeah. I can't I can't quote them off the top of my head, but you can definitely yeah. tell that when, once again, not bagging on Baz, but you can tell he doesn't write any lyrics because all these lyrics have a similar theme to them, which are very wordy with a lot of imagery and a lot of interesting combinations of words together, which as a singer would be really hard to do but they pull it off for the most part. Yeah. You mean like kangaroo lady with a bourbon in a pouch? There like, you go. <laughs> shit like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So, point. I mean, I'll, I'll echo the sentiments pretty much for all of us here. The song absolutely just destroys. I mean, it's one of the greatest album openers. And I love the fact that it has that, that little, that little guitar, the bluesy opening. And then it's everything that you want in a, in a hard rock slash metal song. One of the greatest heavy riffs, like a sledgehammer of a groove to us to the song, the core. I love the gang vocals, the gang chorus box sounds amazing um, to start off an album with a song like this 30 plus years later, the song absolutely still destroys, but Sonny, you bring up a great point. Too many fucking words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and for a song like this, you want to be able to sing along with it. 
and you can't. <laughs> that, that's probably my only complaint. But other than that, the song just kills. And one so, of the great parts ever, too, yeah. is get back. Oh, yeah. Yep. So cool. I have that right here, Chris. Exactly. Get back, get back. Get yeah. back in that whole part. Yeah. <laughs> so Monkey Business, written by Dave Sabo, Dave the Snake Sabo, and Rachel Boland. It became number seven on the mainstream rock. It went up to 19 in the UK, but only it charted in the US. Wow. Um, it's got a bluesy opening, which I love. And that, I don't want to jump into the, the video, and we will, but that video, which shows him again, and he says, and he screams, and he just throws his hair back. Oh, yeah. And just lets, it's like a primal scream. Oh, man, that just thing, that image and everything just fucking rocks um your the guitar riff the rapid fire delivery he's just going word after word you're right i can't sing this i can have the lyric sheet with me and try to sing along with it It, it's it's almost impossible this is exactly like he can pull this off this is what crew did and vince neil can't pull it off and that's Mm. why you get those videos of him trying to sing all those words that he just can't do at this point um but you know bach can actually do the whole get back and then the riff, dan, 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 dan. it's just insane. Uh, I love the gang vocals. I love the back and forth. The solo is great. And uh, I, it's just an uh, incredible way to start off an album. So when you buy this album and you see the video and you're like, I think my, my hopes are like to the moon about how good this is going to be if this is their opening track. Um, the video. There's something about that. The guitar plays fucking banging their heads and kicking the dirt. I don't know what it is, but I love that image. And uh, it's what in a black and white, like railroad track and something in Bach of one of the six videos that he's shirtless walking around beating up. Like, I don't know what a, an art exhibit or something in the middle of it. I just think the, the whole thing is awesome. I love the video. Uh, and I, I just another great way to actually appreciate the song. Yeah. Bach looks great. The band looks badass. Um, it, it's, I mean, they, they, they got the image that they wanted w- with the video. It's surprising I mean, to me. And this kind of goes where we're saying that the skid row at this point in time was an entity, much like the super bowl. People buy tickets for the super bowl without even knowing who's playing. Yep. If you're telling me that the first single release didn't even chart, that kind of tells the tale from a radio standpoint, but the thing still went number one and went double platinum and was huge for them. So that tells me with minimal airplay and no hit singles, they still had a huge hit record, which shows the, 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 how much of a benefit the Skid Row name was. Yeah. I was watching the video the other day and I'm now that we know how history played out, right. Watching the video with all the hair flipping and him walking around like he owns a place and, you know, beating up the scarecrow, whatever the hell he was doing (laughs) and punching things in the air that don't exist. And I'm like, this ego is getting huge, guys. You four realize what's happening right here? You're going to pay for this 20 years from now, I'm telling you. And uh, because his face is all over that video. I thought what they did cool with the video, though, is it's black and white for a while. And then it goes to color like during around the solo. Yeah. And it adds a different dynamic to the video that you don't notice unless you're kind of looking for it, mm. which makes it cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I think it's because the video took so long. It went to nighttime. So they were like, fuck it. Let's put it into color. And uh, you're, you're right. Uh, again, if you notice the image of the band, I mean, I, I know he's wearing leather. And other than that, you got most of the band is wearing T-shirts. There's no 
And this is 91. This is summer 91. So they really stripped down, like, and got away from that glam look right away. The band members looked almost grunge-like at the oh, time. Oh, very, very much. Yeah. Like. It's not like they were ever wearing, you know, you know, kiss animalized clothing or, or no, no. clothes. Like they pretty much, if you watch even Youth Gone Wild, it's pretty much the same vibe. It's just that yeah. the hair might be a little bigger. Like I said, with Guns N' Roses, the, the clothes remain the same. The hair just lost the spray. And Sebastian was always the front man who, once again, if, if Skid Row would have continued through the 90s, 2000s, and into now, he'd still be wearing, you know, uh, cat suits and jumpsuits and capes and whatever because he's a, he's he's a kid of the 70s who loves kiss and queen and all that sort of stuff so he still had that show business vibe and the other guys were like cool you do you do your thing and we'll we'll back you up in our t-shirts and jeans yeah let's go to the next track Once again, okay, so the title track, right when I first heard it, it's one of those ones where, you know, you hear Monkey Business and you're really excited about this is very cool. And then this comes on. It's, it's very rare that, that a record, uh, especially from this genre of a band, s- starts with a heavy song and the second song is heavier. Yeah. Usually the second song is like, is like the single, you know what I mean, which would be more of the rock song. So when it came out, I remember just like, holy shit, because my friend had told me, like this is heavy and i'm like okay well that was heavy and then this oh my gosh like this is really heavy what are they doing because it just comes on like like that's an opening song i've ever heard one but they chose to put it on second and then of course just almost a blast beat and it was just like this is not your sister's skid row this is a whole new vibe and to the point where when i wrestled in japan uh i used slave to the grind as my theme song. Nice. <laughs> and really? I, yes, I used it for a little while because I just like, I remember you sit in the back behind the curtain or the door or whatever it is and and then oh. beat starts, you come running out. And ah! um, <laughs> it has that vibe to it. It's a great opening song. It's a great opening track to the record, except for it's not. It's just, once again, still a strange positioning for me, but just really blows your head off. Super heavy. Uh, I love the way Sebastian sings it kind of a lower register. It's almost an Axl Rose uh, foreshadowing a Phil Anselmo type of a concept. And then he just opens up for the chorus and there's a great scream right before the solo and then a great guitar solo. Um, once again, it's super heavy, 
but it's also very melodic and catchy too, which is another reason why it's one of the one of the highlights of the album. Once again, there was a single and a video for it. I doubt that it charted if Monkey Business didn't, but who gives a shit? It's it's a classic tune, and uh, to this day, I think Sebastian and probably Skid Row as well open their sets with this song. I don't want to give Skid Row too much credit here, but I'm gonna I'm gonna do it anyway. It's ballsy after having two top 10 hits yeah. for these two songs to be your first two songs. Great. It just is. And it feels like they know something. It feels like they're listening to some thrash, some Metallica, some Alice in Chains. They're listening to something. They're listening to Soundgarden, and they're like, music is changing. We got to get away from I Remember You. We're going to have to go somewhere else. I don't know that to be true, but this is the closest to thrash that I can handle, to be honest with you. Like they're just touching to where it's still very listenable, but it does have this mix of like a Alice in Chains and then what kind of Pantera brings. There's like this rebel and a modern and a catchiness, which is very, very odd. The dynamics that Sebastian's creating with that deeper voice and then the the regular voice, I think it's awesome. This it's an unbelievable one-two punch on an album. There's no doubt. But after, if you told somebody that 18 in Life and I Remember You and these two songs are written by the same people, nobody would believe you. Right. Yeah, and yeah. another thing about it, too, is it, it, it almost, I was going to say earlier, it's got a kill em all vibe to it, Metallica. And the reason why I say that, not just from the energy and the speed, but kill em all, if you're a, a burgeoning guitar player, you can figure out the riffs. It's fairly easy, and I use easy relatively. It's easy to figure out the chords. It's not like a, a riff. It's just, and this is like that. Like you can play this. And that's always to me, one of the secrets to a heavy song. When you get into really riffy music, it, it, it's harder to grasp. This is fast and heavy. Like Sonny says, it's the borderline of thrash, but yet it's still a very simple riff. That's exactly what I have written down, Chris, for my notes is that this is kill them all era Metallica. Wow. Nice. It, it, it's that it's that very, like you said, quote unquote, simple, just that chugging, thrashing speed riff. And for Skid Row to come out of the gate with monkey business and then this, they're telling all they're telling all their fans who bought that debut album. We're Skid Row, but this is a little bit different. And we're about to, like, you know, blow your face off. These two songs are going to do it. I think it's I think it, it's great, too, because it shows what Bach can do vocally. And that's what I really love about about a, a singer. You know, we mentioned Axel. Um, you know, we talk about, you know, some of the other guys. We talk, sometimes even Zeus. Now we talk about sometimes Gene's vocals, sometimes mm-hmm. what he can do. I like a guy who can do different things vocally. It makes the song that much more enjoyable, especially when they can flip the switch in the middle of the song vocally. But musically. The song just absolutely rips. I mean, what a great one-two punch. Slave to the Grind, written again by Dave Sable and Rachel Boland. And Sebastian Bach gets a, 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 what do you call it, writing credit on this. Yeah. It was the second single, didn't chart, of course, number 43 in the UK. And again, I was thinking, wow, this is fucking fast. Uh, Your buddies, uh, Hailstorm, covered this, um, Sonny, Mm -hmm. on their Reanimate EP. Um, The solo, it's about his speed metal. Remember, I didn't like thrash i thought they were intruding on my music the whole fucking lars and his dart and fucking (laughs) all that shit shitting on my guys and killing like the what quote-unquote hair metal and i'm like what are they doing 
I, I don't, to me, I thought it was like, cause I watched all the videos and stuff. I thought it was like anthrax. Like, uh, I don't know. I wasn't listening to Metallica kill them all back then, but I did know some anthrax songs cause anthrax had videos unlike Metallica. So, um, yeah, his vocals are insane. The guitar is insane. The, the lyrics though, again, you know, monkey business, you can be like, ah, oh, yeah, it's a little youth gone wild kind of, you know, like, don't fuck with me on whatever. But then I'm like, what the fuck is this? This is not, you know, what it was our, who's our poster boy for shit, Tom? Uh, what? This is not number one bad boy. This is not <laughs> Brett Michaels and CC DeVille. Yeah. Yeah. This isn't <laughs> Razzmatazz. This isn't me. Yeah. This isn't, she got pizzazz like Razzmatazz. This ain't that. No, these lyrics are pretty deep. And, uh, uh, apparently, uh, they couldn't come up with it. They did the demo and Michael Wagner thought they couldn't come up with the same vibe or spirit of the song. So they just kept the demo, which mm. is interesting. Um, the video will give you a fucking seizure. If you ever seen the video, it's just, and a lot of the videos just flash fucking, I don't know. Flash was big back then in the nineties. Everything's just moving. It's like, it's just a lot of just moving parts and stuff. I don't know. I think they're in some warehouse or something. Somebody's swinging from a lift. And there's, of course, a, a, sh- a shirtless Bach as, as all his videos. I think that's a running theme throughout all the stuff. Pretty typical of the era, I guess. Right. I think the video I, is just trying to just visualize the, the intensity of, of the song. You know, that, yeah, that's the chaos. Yeah. Right? The chaos of the song is just the chaos visually. Yeah. I remember He's in that white padded room. Yes. Which is a pretty cool vibe. Rubber room. I I remember, and not so much in this day and age, but I remember, especially in my 20s, if something was bugging me or something was getting me down or something wasn't going right, I remember always thinking, like, I won't be the one left behind. You can't be king of the world if you're slave of the grind. Like, fuck this. And I also always loved the noose gets tighter around my throat, but I ain't reached the end of my rope. Like, that's, that's, those are lyrics that you can, they're almost like, I don't want to say Hetfield lyrics but kind of Hetfield style where you'd be at the end of your teenage rope early 20s rope and something that James would say would be like fucking right James it wasn't like you know ACDC lyrics or something where it's about sex or kiss lyrics you know Nikki could do that too Nikki Six and Hetfield and 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 Snake and Rachel would give you some lyrics that would motivate you to to do more and be better and, and fuck the world sort of thing and this song had that for me even not just listening to the music, which had the vibe, but just those words, the noose gets tighter around my throat, but I ain't reached the end of my rope. Like I'm going to fucking cut the noose. And I'm going to start fighting back. I just like that imagery. And at that time, cause when this came out, I was 20. This was really prime, you know, crossroads of life time. So these mm-hmm. types of lyrics could inspire you. Nice. Yeah. All right. Let's move to the next song. The threat. Yeah. 
Uh, once again, I, I kept waiting for the, you know, I vividly remember I kept waiting for the shoe to drop. Like, okay, you know, Sonny's laughing because you know what I mean? It's like monkey business. And now it's, you know, it's a slave of the grind. And now is going to be the ballot, like the threat of losing your love or something. But this, no, it's not. And then it starts with this really cool kind of groovy riff. And then it goes to like, I love good chording in a verse. And the chords of this verse, and once again, it's almost like believe in yourself and fight back. And then there's the rhythm. Like it was just as heavy as slave, but in a different way. And uh, box spits out his, his words at times, the threat, the threat. Like, he's just like, yeah, the threat, man. So um, Probably maybe could have been a single, but once again, these, this record has no singles. It's not, it's not a radio record. It is a very heavy, uh, uh, impactful record. Uh, they gave up the radio gloss for this really punchy feel type of a music. If, if I can make sense with that. So it was three for three for me. And also three for three on the groove that like, fuck man, these guys are on it. They're not slowing down for anything on this record. The threat. So the bass definitely gets higher in the mix. Mm-hmm. And it kind of creates this funk to it. So musically, I love this song, right? The the rhythm guitar kind of feels like it's overlaid a couple of times, maybe in different octaves, so it kind of fills it up a little bit. Chorus is written well. So all of that's good. Here's my problem with Sebastian. He's got this weird, first of all, there's too many words, so he's kind of rapping. Yeah. So then he overdoes the melody because he emphasizes in weird places because, you know, I didn't know there was 85 different ways to say the threat. You know what I mean? <laughs> <clears throat> but he does that in a lot of songs. And that's when he starts losing me. It's like, dude, just can you calm down and just kind of sing it in a pocket somewhere? Yeah. It doesn't always have to yeah. be somewhere else. If, and this I, is where I started noticing it. Just that's one of the reasons I know I always go off, but it fits. One of the reasons why Steve Harris and Bruce Dickinson broke up in the early nineties was Bruce would write lyrics for a song that had too many words in it. And Steve would say, there's too many words in this verse. And Bruce would say, that's how the verse goes. And Steve would say, but that's not how the song should go. Lyrics are more important. Melody and pocket are more important. Argue, argue, argue they break up. So what you're saying, I never noticed that here, Sonny, that's a valid point. There is a lot of words to have to spit out. And maybe at some point Baz said, this is fucking hard guys. Like, give me a break. Can we get some space in here somewhere? But that's not their lyrical writing style. Yeah. Yeah. Again, I'll, I'll start off with just kind of echoing Sonny's point again. I, and I, uh, we're into the third song and I'm noticing that too, that it sometimes gets, it gets exhausting trying to, listen to the song because it's a heavy song. First of all, it's a great song. Okay. Jericho, you said it three for three, this one right here to me, I think is probably the most user friendly song from the first two monkey business, very slow, very heavy slave to the grind thrash. The threat is, it sounds like they're trying to get back to the youth gone wild style from the debut album. There's the, the gang chorus um, singing there with that, but, but, Bach again is trying to shoehorn so many goddamn words into each line and verse. 
when I'm listening to music like this, whether it's Kiss or maybe not even Metallica, but like a hard rock band, you want to you like to like sing along, whether it's really out loud or in your mind. These songs are hard to sing. I mean, this chorus is catchy. It's got a nice melodic chorus to it, but the vocals are just like boom, 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 boom. And it's just kind of hard to keep up with it. But taking that away from it, I think, again, three for three, the song kills. Anytime you have gang vocals, gang chorus, I love it. And this is a, this is another good one for me. Did it make you feel like a piper on a killing spree? It certainly did, Chris. <laughs> no idea yeah. what that means. It's gonna take. It's gonna take more than the breaking the law. Like all that shit is just like. Brrr. I'm. I have the lyrics here, and I'm trying to yeah. like sing it. Like I can't fucking do that. Are you yeah. kidding me? I, I run out of breath. It's. It's just. But maybe they're like, you know what? We got a show horse, a show pony here. Fuck it. He can do this, and we have can him do it. Yep. Exactly. I never realized that before. You guys are totally right. I never realized that before. But there's so many lyrics in these songs. But it's not just the lyrics. It's quirky lyrics. Yeah. And right. I like yes. I met her at the yeah, I met her at the store. I picked her up and we took we went back to my house and like it's like kangaroo lady with a bourbon in a pouch. Like, what? Like, how do you remember all this shit? But regardless, uh, the threat written again by the same duo, Dave Sabo and Rachel Bolin. I like the vocals, I like the gang vocals. The chorus is very cool. But I think this is the first of a few songs that could have been written on the first album. Um, it, it could have fallen. It reminds me a little bit of like, can't stand the heartache and things like that. It could, it could kind of get in there. It's not as heavy. It's a little more catchy, a little poppy, but it's still good. And, uh, yeah, it's, uh, the vocals are just, I, I think I should just say right now, like the vocals throughout this whole fucking album are mm. incredible. Yeah. Some are even more so than others, but yeah. every song on here, it's, it, it's right. If you, you, Chris said it earlier, if they, you can, fucking go in a machine and be like it's 1990 i want a singer who's this is my machine yeah. that's what i'm building that guy you know minus his fucking homophobic t-shirts that he wore oh jesus don't bring up that or maybe you don't jump in the crowd boot first because somebody threw something at you here's the thing though this is why it worked he was dangerous exactly great you guys will all know what i'm talking about there's no rock and roll bands that are dangerous right now. And that's why rock and roll is a little bit down. There, there are, there's a few burgeoning, but at this point in time, when you had Axel and you had Sebastian, you had these types of guys that like they'd jump in the crowd and punch you in the face. It's like, that's that to me is very rock and roll. Chris, you, know? you bring and, up a, you bring up a good point. Cause I think Bach filled the void of yeah. Axel and he, he filled he, that void. He even says in his book, like you guys are bagging on me for doing this stuff, but Atlantic records told him to be a rock and roll front man. Yep. That's what you asked me to do. So yep. I'm doing it. Maybe it was a little forced. I don't know, but he had that, that, that element of danger. I remember watching shine down with the late, great Vinnie Paul, a great friend of mine uh, at a festival that we played at in Dallas. And Vinnie just came to hang out. We were watching shine. And he said, damn, this is a, this is the least dangerous bunch of white boys I ever <laughs> seen in my life. Now, like, now that being said, I love Shinedown and I've great. seen them in concert. But you know what I'm saying? You know what he's they're, saying? They're not dangerous. 
They're not dangerous. No. And rock and roll. I mean, Elvis was dangerous. John Lennon yep. was dangerous. You know, Sid Vicious and yep. you know Roth was dangerous. And all the guys that we loved had that element to it. Yep. So Baz, and listen, of course, the homophobic is stupid and all the shit he did was stupid, but it was danger. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, Nikki was dangerous. You know, all they had that vibe to them. And I, I kind of miss that in this day and age because it is so PC you know, and fucking PC and yeah. woke and me too and all that sort of stuff. And in most ways it's good, but I sure would like to see a rock star, you know, get in a fucking fight at the rainbow one night and get arrested for assault and battery. And, you know, that's sort of an idea. Okay. Well, Chris, that's you then. You do that. At Creatures <laughs> Fest. I, I got I got arrested the night before our record, All That Remains, came out, or Chasing the Grail, one of the two, Ch- Chasing the Grail. And Eddie Trunk actually asked me, was that a publicity stunt? I'm like, dude, no. You don't get arrested <laughs> as a publicity stunt. It was just bad time. It was like, you know, arrested, and the new Fozzie record is out today. Nice. <laughs> oh, there you yeah. go. Yeah, uh, it's the opposite of what I used to mean, Tom, make the joke about cool in the gang is not what would scare white people. <laughs> like they're the safe band for white people. But, yeah. yeah. So to, unfortunately every band is like that nowadays. And I agree with you, but uh, let's get a little help from our friend quicksand. Jesus. Okay, so this obviously this is the first ballad on the record, which not even a ballad as we discussed earlier. It's a very dark, even just the song the song title "Quicksand Jesus." It's like wow, someone lost their faith or whatever exactly it means. I never really delved into what it means. Um, this one was a grower for me. 
at first listen, I just thought it's very long. It starts slow. And finally, when it builds to the end, it has an epic kind of an ending to it. And, and like we said, Sebastian's vocals are excellent all the way through. But I, f- I found when I heard this and even listening to it, I listened to the record today. Yeah, I love the song because I've heard it for 30 years, but I still feel like, okay, this is where the chink in the armor of the record starts to appear for me in that if you're going to go as heavy as you did on the first three, you got to go something for the chicks. And this is not a ballad for the chicks. This is a ballad in the same way that my friend of misery or the God that failed on the black album or ballads, you know, Metallica did it better with nothing else matters. They didn't have that on this. So I like it now. It's not one of my standout songs for it. Um, and I start to understand why none of these songs charted and none of them were made for radio because if I play, well, I always use my wife who's an every man woman. She would be bored of this and not get into it the same way she did with I remember you, for example. So um, it's good, but it's not good enough for what I feel they needed in, in slot four. So I mentioned at the beginning, right there were the bridge, right? They were trying to bridge both sides. Mm-hmm. Here's an example of the first song that comes that's supposed to bridge the guys that are, or the gals they might have left behind kind of thing. I think this is totally the bang zone. This is when you get Bach at his absolute best. The lyrics lose about 35% weight. He can hold <laughs> as many notes as he wants to, as long as he wants to. He can do all kinds of vocal gymnastics as long as he wants to. And he can sing the shit out of a dark ballad. It is the Bach go-to. If He, he could have l- released 85 songs like this in his career, and he would have been just fine. This is, he can do it. The, the whole drum accenting, the mood, the feel, you had to go there at some point. You're not going to get all slave to the grinds. I do agree with Chris, though. If you're going to do this, can you just make it a love song and just, and just go all the way? Like, you don't got to go kind of like this dark halfway into a ballad kind of thing. And that's kind of what you're doing here. Now, what's interesting is I heard a story that there was a, everybody used to um, hang out at, snake's mom's house and i guess there's a jesus statue that's halfway sunk into the ground and they used to rub it for luck and they used <laughs> to call that statue quick quicksand jesus oh and that's wow. where it came from nice wow that's what that means then yeah so all right for me i i love this song um and i love it because to me this really really strongly showcases box ability as a vocalist agreed um I love the fact that it's kind of an epic ballad. And I, and I like the fact that it's a dark ballad. I like that. It's not, I remember you. I like that. It's not a a love song. These, these types of songs. I love Chris, you brought up a great point talking about the, the black album with my friend of misery and the God that failed, you know, those are on a, on a different planet compared to this. But when you're talking about a dark ballad, I get what Skid Row is trying to do. They're, they're, this is the fourth song on this album. And you've gone from monkey business to slave to the grind to a song called the threat to a song called quicksand Jesus. That has nothing to do with hugs and kisses. It, it, the, the party's over. If you're a chick right now with this album, you, you're pretty much not listening to this anymore after this song, but that's okay. Um, but for me, I think this is a standout track. Bach shines on it. I think the band shines on it. And I love a long, epic 
building ballad. Um, and I think this is just a really, really good version of that. Quicksand Jesus again, Dave Sabo, Rachel Boland. It's the fifth single, didn't chart, um, right? The first ballad. But even, you know, going to what Chris is saying, even Guns N' Roses, they went to patience. They yep. went to don't cry. Yep. I mean, I know it's strange. In November, mine. Yeah. Yeah. But it's strange. In, and uh, what's the other one there? November, November rain. rain. It might be not so much a ballad, but it could be considered a ballad. Yeah. If you want to say it's like a little quicksand Jesus there, but they still put one of one of these songs should have been about love lost or something. Mm-hmm. One of them. The thing is, they could kind of, I feel, get away with this shit, meaning keep the guys and get the guys into this because guys are starting to get into Metallica, Guns N' Roses. But they were still going to have the girls in their back pocket because of their lead singer. Mm-hmm. So I think they were like, we can get away with it because he's still going to get girls for us. Well, but because of the lead singer, I agree with you. But once again, because of their past history, you got to give just one to the girls. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like even Lars figured that out. James with nothing else matters. That's like, as a Metallica fan, when black Elm came out after this came out, I was like, you know, things are fucked when skid row is heavier than Metallica. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> That's how, and when you listen to think about me as a, as a, as a true blooded Metallica fan from kill them all on yep. justice for all then black Elm. It's like, it's amazing now. But at the time, you're like, where's my where's my Metallica? And then mm-hmm. Slave to the Grind is out there. You're and, right. Yeah, now I think about it. You're like, right? Shit, they so are. True. And then nothing else matters. At least I'm like, fuck, they're really pushing my fucking patience here, man. Yep. Like, I don't I don't even want to deal with this anymore. If if the skids would have given us just one of those, just one. And if they would have put a trade, let's say, let's say this record had no charting singles, but the one, you know, I remember you too, or whatever they want to call it got to a top 10 everybody's happy yeah but they yeah. But, and for to their credit they didn't want to do that maybe they didn't care maybe they maybe they thought this was it but to me it is glaringly missing that little piece of the puzzle to bring in all the girls so when sebastian looking the way he looks sings i remember you you know walking in the sand toe toes in the sand whatever the fuck it was you know he, the girls believe it. Yep. yep. There was a I Remember You Too. It's on 2003's Thick Skin. Do me a favor. Don't listen because you'll <laughs> never be able to unlisten because it's bad. <laughs> it's really, they redid it into like this punk thing. Oh my God. Oh, they actually oh, redid no. the song? Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, oh no. Yeah. It's like no. when Vanilla Ice did a, a a thrash version of Ice Ice Baby. <laughs> oh, no. That's real, by the way. You can find it. So. Oh, nice. Um, they probably should have ended the last song on this album and done a, like an Eagles cover instead. And if they did the Eagles version of Wasted Time, maybe <laughs> that would have been their hit. But, yeah, so um, the only thing I would say about this is you're right. The song gets better because it's, yes. it relies on box vocals and mm-hmm. it's not so much the lyrics or anything out by the end when it's just like quick sand Jesus. And he keeps repeating that line. Quick. Yep. Yeah. It's just like building in his voice. And then he hit that high note. Ah, you're like, holy shit. Can yeah. this fucking guy sing? So, I, I mean, th- that's why the song still works for me. Uh, the video, another kind of live performance. Gosh. Bach is shirtless. 
Um, red of- vest. Now he's yeah. got the red vest yeah. on. Oh, yeah. That, that's about like three sizes too you know, small. Once again, Zeus, like here I am. No pun intended. Once again, here <laughs> I am. Yep. A huge Skid Row fan. Especially, I didn't even know there was a video for Wasted Time, mm-hmm. which shows how much play it must have got. Like we, I was in Canada, so we didn't have much uh, MTV. We had much music. But still, much music would play everything that was going on. We I would tell you it. this. I thought I know this album better than any of these three. Maybe not you, but these three. I didn't know there was another video besides Monkey Business. I honestly, because I, again, I was in college. You know how I know there are videos? Every time I listen to a song, I have it on this on my computer screen. I always got to pull up the lyrics. So I'll Google the song and the lyrics come up. But above it will always say if it's a video. Video. And it'll yep. say original video. Or it'll be like, you know, just the words in the video. Yeah. And I'm like, is this a real video? Is this like a, a what do you call it? a fan art video? A fan video. Like, oh, it's a fucking video. And there's like six of them. I'm yep. Like, oh, fuck. <laughs> Holy shit. Somebody at that record company must have been like, what the fuck? None of these are charting. We're doing all these videos somewhere along. Someone got pissed. But uh, let's go to the, the next one. Psycho Love. Um, so, so this to me is kind of a uh, son of Peace of Me. Um, yes. Zeus, uh, Zeus will tell us the stats, but I'm pretty sure probably Rachel wrote this by himself, just as he did yes. Peace of Me. Um, it's 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 cool, but once again, so now I'm starting to get hip to what they're doing. It's almost like a Black Label Society record where let's just take every heavy horror movie sounding title we can use uh quicksand jesus psycho love creep show riot <laughs> act you know like what's a heavy sounding tune i think once again as i listen today it's something once i, I love this record yeah but to me it almost suffers a little bit of the hot in the shade syndrome in that would this have been a better record if it was pared down to 10 songs mm-hmm. um you know i don't know but this is not one of them, but it's kind of getting to the point where this is kind of getting a little stock for me. Um, I like the Skid Row punk influence. Obviously, that's what Rachel brings to the table. He always has that vibe and that attitude in his songwriting. Um, but this one, to me, there's not a real hook to it. Um, it's just psycho love and feel my psycho love and love my psycho love. And, uh, you know, like I said, in the right mood, it's got it's cool, it's heavy. But if you were to say to me, "Hey, Chris, pick some songs off off Slave of the Grind" as we're at the barbecue or wherever the yeah. fuck we are at you know <laughs> Zeus's house, you know, have at a sleepover, um, 
I would not choose this one. So I think it's cool when I hear it, but I would never pick this song or put it on a mixtape or put it on a playlist since we're in the uh, 2020s. Now there is no more mixtapes. So that's kind of my call on that. Yeah, there's a love hate for me on this thing too, because you know I don't got a problem with the whole the songs about a crazy chick, prostitute, whatever. I got no issue with that. I think the riff is great. I think that whole the bass is going, and then the rest of the music kind of call answers in the music. I think that's great. But one thing about Rachel, man, when it gets too punk, he loses me. That's exactly when he loses me. It's like I don't want to listen to any of your punk influence. I'm the same way with Duff. The minute Guns N' Roses gets too punk, I'm like, God damn, Duff, just back it off just a little <laughs> bit so I can listen to this damn thing. Um, the breakdown doesn't work on this song for me. It just feels like they're just trying to be too cool. And it actually gets worse. We'll get to it in a minute. But, uh, yeah, this thing, uh, they kind of lost me here. Like I said, Sonny, if, th- if this was taken off the record and made it as a B-side. Yeah, like Japanese pretty- single. There you go. Yeah, and I, I would probably really say, hey, you guys got to hear the song Psycho Love. Have you heard it? Oh, you guys got to hear it. Like, I was always that guy. Yeah. You know, have you guys heard Cross-Eyed Mary, Iron Maiden? Oh, God, you don't know what you guys are listening to the wrong Iron Maiden songs. I feel the same way with this. There's one or two that we could pull off, make a really cool EP with some live tunes, but leave this record kind of at a different level. And I feel this is one we wouldn't miss if it was gone. Yeah. Haunt my house of pain and feel my psycho love. <laughs> Settle the <laughs> <and> fuck <laughs> down. He's he fucking relaxed. Exactly. And then there's that. He pro wrestling i'm always uh, uh, i'm always very cognizant of the catchphrase give us the catchphrase right there tom give us your catchphrase that's it haunt that. my house of love and i mean haunt, haunt my house of pain <laughs> no but the but the catchphrase is settle down oh settle, settle, settle down. down settle down you guys Rachel. gotta make settle down t-shirts we'll t-shirts yeah. settle down yeah, yeah i mean do say that a lot <clears throat> I mean, I like the big, uh, see, I like the intro with the slap and bass. It reminds me of the chili peppers. I'm a fan of the chili peppers. So I get, I get big time chili pepper vibes from, there's a couple other songs. I'll bring that up later too, but lyrically, whatever, like Chris, you said it, we get it. You guys are dark and heavy and scary. And we, you know, the song is okay, but at this point you're starting to get a little bit kind of tired of the vibe of what's going on with this album. Um, but it, it, it's it's okay. It's it's the first song I would consider okay on the record so far. So Psycho Love is written only by Rachel Bowen, in which I think this is what you get. You get the guy, all right, who let the fucking bassist write the song? Yep. It's, it starts with the bass riff. It's got a couple bass breakdowns. Boom, 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 <laughs> right? It he just kind of took control and you know, who's gonna step up and say, Hey, cut the shit? Dude, he's on every song. It's he's his got, band, basically. Yeah, yeah, right? But he's got, I mean, even Snake is off on a couple of these, but Rachel is on every fucking song. Who's going to tell him, no, nah, no, nah, we're not doing this one. So I get it why it's on. It's not a bad song. So when I listen to this album, if I'm in the car and trying to just drive in, doing my thing, not really rocking out in the car, I, I let it play. I don't sit there and be like, oh, this song's awful. Change next song. Like, I like it. I don't mind it. Um, because I like box vocals and I, and he just makes it work. And he's got that, the growling kind of voice on this one, which I like Um, the middle breakdown is just into the solos. Just, I don't know, fucking Ezrin type shit breakdown. (laughs) I don't know what they're thinking they're doing there, but whatever. And guess what, Chris, 
There is a video on this one. A 3D video. Yeah. It's, 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 it's yeah. ridiculous. So here's the part that I fucking, I watched this video. It's a, another performance video. Oh. And then they got like flashing, like headlines in the background. Of, of sex crimes. Yeah, yeah. All in the yeah. shit. And then at the end of the video, it says, take your 3D glasses off. I'm like, what? I can fill in the blanks for you there, Zeus. So Skid Row was really great. At put, they were like Kiss. They would put out the the road videos, the long form home videos. Yes, and there was one. It might not be from this one. There was one called Roadkill that mm-hmm. I used to watch over and over and over. It was wow. so funny. Those five guys were like the fucking three five Stooges, and one of them came. I think it was Roadkill or another one from this era where it said, "Bonus three uh, D Psycho Love video, including three D glasses." Uh, yeah, when you bought the VHS tape, it came with a pair of glasses, and you'd watch the thing. And at the end, on the what was it like a uh, uh, extra features or whatever the fuck it was, <laughs> yeah. whatever they would call it, bonus features. You would click on it, and you could put your glasses on and watch the Psycho Love. I remember that. Yeah, that's and Psycho Love, and the video for Psycho Love was on that Roadkill video. Yes. Yeah, yeah, and, that, and it gave, that's why I told you to put your glasses yep. on and take them off because they gave you a pair if oh, you bought the, the tape. Wow. And did you notice on the video, he's dressed like Anselmo now. So he's got the red vest with the shorts on. Now the influence is coming. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. We have a rule in Fozzie, by the way, no shorts allowed on stage, <laughs> specifically because of that era. No yeah. shorts, no watches, no hats. Forget that it. Wild. That was a weird era. Those Then those grunge guys took it over and it got really fucked up. Really bad. Yeah. Yeah. Well, get the fuck out. <laughs> Love this tune. Uh, just the audacity of get the fuck out. And it's about some some poor, uh, you know, rats, as we call them in wrestling, as you call them groupie. Um, <laughs> you know, I once again, I was like, these guys are just really shoving it down our throats that they're super heavy. And they really don't give a shit. Get the fuck out. You know, <laughs> you ain't my old lady and you ain't a tattoo. No need to whisper, no need to shout. This party's over. Get the fuck out. And I was like, it's kind of mean. <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's a little Rod Stewart in the morning. Yeah, so. In the morning, um, <laughs> kick yeah, you but, out the door. Yeah. Right? But, uh, oh, good call. Yeah, stay with me. But um, the, the the vibe of it, uh, I like the riff. Once again, I'm a sucker for a, a cowbell. Mm. Um, the chorus to me, the, pre, the pre-chorus is catchy. There, there is some pop element to it. Yep. Not that this would ever get airplay anywhere because we get the fuck out. And I was probably two, three years into this album before i knew that there was a version that didn't have get the fuck on it 
The only reason I knew that Beggar's Day existed is because I saw it in Japan. I used to wrestle in Japan quite often. And I think it was about 94 when I was just looking through and I saw Skid Row, maybe when 95, maybe when Subhuman Race came out. And I saw, well, there's another song on this. So in Canada, there was no other version. It was Get the Fuck Out. And that's just the way it was. So it's a fun song. It's cool. It's not specifically memorable in any shape or form, but the audacity of calling it Get the Fuck Out and being so angry, uh, I always kind of thought it was cool to listen to. Okay, so if you're going to have a brash song that says, get the fuck out, and you got all kinds of gang vocals on all these other songs, why is the hook, get the fuck out? Like, I don't understand why the hook is like that. This song is absolutely unnecessary. This is trying too fucking hard. Like, when when I hear this song, I'm like, these are the same guys who wrote Monkey Business or Sweet Little Sister? There's no way. Yeah, trying too hard. Beggar's Day is 5,000% better than that. I cannot handle this song. Anytime this comes on shuffle, skip. Wow. (laughs) There we go, Sonny. Uh, I'm like Chris. I think it's a fun song. I like it. It's it's, it's ballsy. It's stupid. Um, It's kind of like an upbeat, like, punk style, like Guns N' Roses I could picture Guns N' Roses putting this on like GNR Lies, you know, like like just a throwaway kind of fun song. It's the first song on the album where I'm like, okay, they're not taking themselves too seriously. Like, yeah, okay, we're still badass, we're still dark and angry, get the fuck out. But it's the first song where it sounds like they're having a little bit of fun as a band. Um, so I like it. I think it's cool. I mean. You know, when I was when I was I'm listening to this at work, I'm like, I had to friggin make sure the volume <laughs> on my computer was turned down because I'm like, Jesus Christ. Uh, but all that being said, Sonny, I'm with you. Beggar's Day way better. Get the fuck out. Dave Sabo and Rachel Bowen. I think the lyrics are fun. I love the chorus. I like it. It cuts out. And then past <laughs> Dusty. So get the fuck out. <laughs> Whatever the fuck that is. It's like a little like I, I I don't know. I think he's being coy about it. Yeah. I think this is their version of getting the ring. Their version of like fucking yeah, kind go of, fuck yeah. yourselves. Yeah. Whatever. You know. Um the I don't know. Finally they get into like kind of sexist misogynistic vo- uh, vocals, uh verses, excuse me, on the second little whatever but that's the style back then it's the first time in this album they've talked about women and fucking and doing shit <laughs> yeah, right point. everything else is like oh the government or society and and other shit so um i think the solo's pretty good cool i like the end how they shout and then the end is when the band is all saying get the fuck out yeah. get the fuck out you know i don't yeah. i like the song i think it's fun so we'll figure this out um so Let's go to the next track.
one of my favorites on the record. Uh, love, love how it comes in uh, with just vocals and kind of like down, down. And once again, it's Snake and Rachel's crusade against some poor, I don't know, Mexican kid that's robbing the store to eat. Doors <laughs> locked the streets. This kid gets eight years for stealing a chocolate bar or whatever. But um, I just think this is dirty. Once again, I like dirty Skid Row. To me, to me, that's Skid Row's wheelhouse. You know, we've talked about Kiss before. Kiss has that wheelhouse of just being kind of the mid-tempo kind of head bobbing. And Skid Row's kind of that for me as well. So this this has that vibe to it. Um, uh, yeah. And, and once again, Sebastian's voice, I'm going through the song in my head. It, the way he sings this chorus is really, really good. Uh, can't say enough about his vocals on this record. But this song to me is is a great way to open side two. They never played it live. I wish they would have, um, but it's, it's one of the standouts for me for, for all those reasons. I am a sucker for a song that starts right away. Yeah. Like that always catches you off guard. Mm-hmm. I absolutely love that. I'm a sucker for pinch harmonics. And this is when, if you haven't noticed yet, Sable and Scotty know what the hell they're doing. They're short solos. Yeah. They play off each other. They don't overdo it. Very they play for the song. And yeah. they're never going to be considered these guitar gods uh, by any means. Um, so I love the switch off solos and everything. And, you know, I just didn't know there was 532 ways to say living on a chain gang. I, <laughs> I didn't know. But, you know, Sebastian sings them all ways. So I guess that's cool. Yeah, this is the first song on the album. I'm like, no way, dude. This is bad. You don't like it. Wow. This is bad. And I'll tell you what lost me, Chris. I, I, I like how it started out of the gate. But that little breakdown, in the, not the breakdown, but kind of like the bridge with the band where it's like, busted on the rock pile. <laughs> I'm like, uh, just fucking, you're killing me here. Just was it AC, AC, busted on the rock pile. Yeah, right. I'm like reading the lyrics. I'm like, what am I, what am I looking at here? And then Sonny, Sonny said it great. How many different ways can you say chain gang? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I'm, I'll give props to, to to Bach and the vocals, but this one is a dud for me. Oh, I love this, it. This one's a rough one for me. <laughs> Living on a chain gang, Dave Sable, Rachel Boland. I keep saying, I, I think I keep saying his name different every time. There's a yeah, new song. Sable, Sable, Sable. Sable. Just say Snake. Yeah, just snake. snake. There you go. Uh, I'm with you, Sonny. The opening vocals with the no music always is fun. Again, another political type song. You're like, Where's the fucking chicken, the ass and cherry pie shit. This is not (laughs) cherry pie, but regardless, I think the pre-chorus in the chorus is excellent. It's catchy as all hell. And again, I will say this is kind of a little bit of a debut album. I I think it could fall on that. It's, it's catchy. It's a little popish, decent solo. And the vocals are always fantastic. Don't have much to say on that. I, I think it's a good song. You know, not much there. But. Working on the rock pile. <laughs> it's like that die with your boots on. If you're going to die. Oh, yeah. Die. Good point. If you're going to die. All right. I'm going to fucking die. All right. Sing it. <laughs> All right. Let's go to the creep show.
Once again, this is one of those ones, if they would have left it off the record, I wouldn't have even noticed. It's kind of a, a B-side uh, dressed up as an A-side. I just This reminds me of when we did the, the Rat classic album, Clash, and there was that one song. Uh, what's the first song on the second side of... Um, of uh, uh, With the phone ringing? Oh, got me on the line? Like, Hello? The lines or something? Yeah. On, Hello? I had just listened to Between the Lines or whatever it was. Oh, and Between was like, the Lines? Oh, okay. Is that the one Between the Lines? That I think that was be, Got Me on the Line. got me on the line? No, no. I'll, I'll figure it out. Anyways, there was a song that I heard on that record that I had no memory how it went, and I just heard it like, you know, two hours prior. And that's what I feel for Creep Show. Uh, my baby's working on the creep. She's like, what, if, what are you fucking talking about? Settle down. <laughs> yeah. Settle down. <laughs> uh, yeah. Once again, not really much to say about it. A little bit stockish for me. And uh, if it had not made the record, I wouldn't bother me. Between the Eyes is the song I was talking about for the Oh, record. there you go. Yeah. Okay. This is the Between I the Eyes. I don't like <laughs> your nah, 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 nah. This is the Between the Eyes of the uh, Slave <laughs> Grind record for me. That's I would like to say this is the worst song on the record, <laughs> but it's technically not, but it should be. Yeah. Because they hit me with a shovel because I can't <laughs> believe that I dug you. Like, that's just, this is bad. The, the Everything about this song is bad, and it's amazing that it's not the worst song on the record. That's what I got to say. <laughs> that's the See, best you can say about this, it. This is why I love doing these shows. Yeah. I fucking love this song. <laughs> I love this song. I love this song. I love the way the song starts. It's got that cool little groove. Again, a little chili peppers. It's got like a little bit of a bouncy riff. It's different. I love the gang vocals when it's like, oh, no. And then that friggin' shovel lyric is so goddamn stupid. I love it. <laughs> oh, it's it, this is another fun song you're not taking yourselves too seriously i think it's got a i mean lyrically it's ridiculous lyrically it's stupid terrible but musically i think i like that bouncy riff i like the chorus i think it's catchy as all hell nice. and uh it is not the worst song on the on the album study but we haven't i don't think we've gotten to that yet if you can tell them who wrote the song rachel oh, yeah, bolin scotty hill and rob afuso the drummer gets a uh, writing credit. this is what happens when you let the drummer write a song <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> probably right there's a crew, groovy little bass line on this and, and we're talking about lyrics if fucking ragging on <laughs> dykes transvestites psychos isn't enough he's then goes on to talk about beating his woman up baby's acting tough check out my fisticuffs well that's just what she deserves Good luck, uh, good luck writing that song today, but oh my yeah, God. right, fucking <laughs> hey, yeah, so yeah, bad. yeah, it's uh, but it is kind of fucking, I don't know, it's funny, it's just it is funny that it makes you laugh. Yeah, oh no, I saw my baby on the creep show. <laughs> what does that even mean? Is that like a is that like the the peeping Tom shit? Like, uh, like a oh, strip that's a club, that's a peep show, but yeah, that's what I'm thinking of show. What, what else would it be? Maybe, he's, maybe, like, maybe he was dating Adrian Barbeau 
and they were from watching- Creepshow. There you go. <laughs> He'd be lucky if he was dating her right from Cannonball, right with Oof. that other chick. Oh, oh, Susan, Susan Anton was the other oh. chick, I believe. Oh, fucking god damn it! There you go. All right, let's. <laughs> Let's get off Adrian Barbeau and stop dating ourselves. Someone's like, that lady's like 80 years old now. Deuce <laughs> just came in his sweat. She was 80 then. <laughs> guys, are, guys are Googling gilf porn for Christ's sake. <laughs> it's either her or B. Arthur, her mom for Maud. So I don't know. All right, let's go to a darkened room and take care of something. <laughs> Beyond the reach of God's face Lies the wounded The shattered remains of love betrayed And the innocence Of a child is body and soul In the name of the damned The rage of the angels left silent and cold Um, this one's a little bit more of what I was kind of talking about earlier. I think, I think of, of the three ballads, uh, this is the one that's probably the most accessible. Um, the chorus, I, I think one of the things about this record that, that is lacking in a lot of the songs is a really catchy hooky chorus. If you're talking about, we mentioned creep show or, um, some of these other tunes, psycho love, even the threat, the chorus is mostly just like the threat, the threat, psycho love, psycho love. This one has the down, 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 down. Um, I think that this probably, if it, I don't, I know you said it was a single, but when I'm looking on uh, Google as well, it says in Europe only. So maybe, I don't know, maybe it was released in the States, but if they would have given this some push and some money to it, maybe they already thought two million records, it's enough. Let's move on to the next one. Um, I think this one could have been a little bit more accessible, but once again, it's a dark song. Uh, It really is. It's not about, you know, like walking through the sand, like we said earlier. So of the three ballads, this is the most accessible. It's, my second favorite, maybe my favorite, depending on how I feel about wasted time. But I think it's a pretty good song. And I think if it would have had a different type of promotional campaign and push, it could have been a bigger hit for them. Not as big as I remember you, but definitely maybe filled the void a bit of what we're missing on this record. Yeah, this is back. This is Bach back to his bang zone, right? So again, 40% of the lyrics, right? The lyrics lost 40% of its weight. Right. Bach can do whatever he wants with a vocal melody. He's got a great voice at this time period. 
and he is absolutely killing the song. And I'm telling you, Snake, Scotty, and Rachel know that. And they're yeah. like, look, we're going to write these three ballads. This is actually my third favorite out of the three. Wow. But it's a good song, though. I think the chorus saves the song, though. I'm not – the verses and the pre-chorus kind of meant to me, but the chorus is amazing. But the problem is none of these songs – like, you're not going to hum them anywhere. Yeah. Like, I start humming get the fuck out probably, get myself fired. But, you know, like, you're not going to hum them anywhere. Like You just can't keep up with what Bach's doing. But his vocal hair is outstanding. Yeah. That's another killer ballad. I mean, they, they, they're, they're knocking them out of the park with the ballads, and they, and they knew that because they released all of them as singles. Um, Box sounds fantastic. And Chris and Sonny, you've already said it, that it's the first song really where the chorus is extremely melodic and hooky. Very, very, very catchy. Like, uh, that's, this is a, it's a chorus written for the radio. Um, it's very easy to listen to on your ears. You can, it's, it sounds like a pop hit. That chorus sounds like it was written. Like they, they threw it into the middle of a dark song to try to give it a little bit of a hooky quality. Um, but I think, I think it's a, it's a, it's another standout ballad, but again, it's another dark ballad. But I'll uh, say, but that, I'll say one more thing too, is that this yeah. is the only song of the three ballads that is a radio time frame. And what I mean yeah. by that radio shies away from anything over four minutes, unless you're guns and roses or whatever, this is three fifty-seven, whereas wasted time is five fifty, and uh quicksand Jesus was five twenty-six. So yep. they're not gonna play those even they would have to do a huge edit on them. This one is actually a bite-sized ballad that they could have played. Yep. In a darkened room, it was the fourth single, Dave Sabo, Rachel Bolin, Sebastian Bach. <laughs> So you guys keep talking about the chorus and it fucking was bugging me. Me too. Why do I know this? Why do I know this? Why do I know this? Um, so I, Chris, I don't know if you've ever, uh, I've ever said this, but I'm a huge nineties country during, you know, that era. I got into country music a lot. Wow. Right There's on. a song called uh, it matters to me by Faith Hill. It was a number one song in country charts in 1995. It is the exact same chorus. Wow. Now, I don't know if the song was, wasn't written by Faith Hill. I don't think she ever wrote any music, uh, <clears> but <throat> I don't know how old that song is, but it was a number one hit roughly, you know, a couple years afterwards, same chorus. The fucking melody is exact the same, just different. It matters to me. Go listen to it. You'll tell me like, yeah, it is kind of the same. And you know, have you ever uh, heard, I, have you ever heard Faith Hill's version of you matter to me? The Peter Chris song. I wish <laughs> <laughs> that does I'm not like, exist, dude. In the nineties, I could see I could fucking hear Faith Hill sing fucking it Saturday. doesn't exist. I wouldn't <laughs> give a shit. Come on, I love you. I love you matter to me. Oh, Don't shit. Okay. okay. Of course I love you matter to me. It's one okay. of the it's one of the two or three on that record I like. It doesn't matter. Faith Hill in the nineties, she fucking sing anything and it would be okay. Um the vocals are off the chart on this song. The beautiful solo. It's a beautiful song. Um, the, the whole thing though, I do oh, gotta yeah. put it Stunning. and I did I write it. I did write it down here in a darkened room beyond the reach of God's faith. And what do I have underneath? Settle, Settle down, down. <laughs> <laughs> like, okay. God's faith. And like, it's just stop taking yourself too seriously. You were just okay? beating people with shovels earlier. <laughs> yeah. Relax. And punching women to get the fuck out. Yeah. yeah. Punching yeah. chicks in the face. Because yeah. They deserved it. Um, there's a video, black and white, Please. of course. It's like a before gig, like kind of like a rehearsal, a little water in the dead alive type video. The concert looks small, though. It looks like a fucking little, I don't know, a little bar or something. It doesn't even look like well, a big maybe. 
Yeah. Did you notice Scotty was wearing a Jane's Addiction shirt, though? Yes. Nice. See the transition? See, they know something. I'm they telling know. you, they know yeah, something. You're right. You're they right. weren't wearing a rat shirt. No. No. So uh, I like the song. It's a beautiful song. Let's go to the next one. Um, yeah, I mean, this one's, this one's cool. I mean, it, it, once again, it's, it's definitely, I would, I would, uh, probably say that Rachel wrote this by himself or, or if he didn't, he probably wrote the majority of it. Very punk rockish sort of thing. Uh, I, I think it's raining. You say it's raining, but you're pissing down my back. So stop reading me the right act. I kind of like that type of vibe, but, um, like I said, in the hot in the shade, uh, uh, track editing, if we, if we had to redo this and he said, there's only 10 songs allowed, this would probably be the other one that I would take off along with creep show. Um, you know, once again, it's, it's that side of skid row that Sonny mentioned earlier that he doesn't care for as much, but it's, it's a necessary evil. It's part of what they do because Rachel's in the band. He likes this. It's like when Duff sings attitude live, uh, in the middle of a three-hour show in 2021, we don't really need it, <laughs> but that's what Guns N' Roses is, and this is what Skid Row is. So it's fun, it's short, and um, it gives us one great line. You, you, you say it's raining, but you're pissing down my back. So that's a good visual to imagine. <laughs> For me, the best thing about this song is the guitar solos, and that it's less than three minutes long. That's about <laughs> it. Yeah. Because here is a perfect example of I get it, from 1989 to 1993, Sebastian can do anything he wants with his vocals and make it work. That doesn't mean you should. Good call. Right? Because here he is annoying. Some of the stuff he's doing, I'm just like, come on, dude. Just leave it alone. Right? And I'm starting to think now that we're talking about all this, it's got to be either Snake or Scotty that is starting to listen to Metallica and Pantera and Soundgarden because Rachel is stuck in one place and he don't move from it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. It's it's a fun you know song. It's it's upbeat. It's it's got the gang vocals. Bach does not sound really terrific on this one, Sonny. I'm kind of with you on that. Uh, the lyric, the pissing down my back thing. What are you trying to do again? Settle down, relax. What the fuck are we doing here? You know, I get it. You're a bunch of badasses. You're hitting people with shovels. You're pissing down people's backs. You're punching chicks. Like what the. F- fucking slow down and then the next song doesn't get much better either but we'll save that go ahead zeus <laughs> all right right act snake and rachel again this is debut album skid row i feel yeah. i like the catchy vocals now i don't know about you guys but when i hear this song i i hear a little look what the cat dragged in that's not a compliment <laughs> that is not a good thing. i actually like look what the cat okay. dragged in that okay. song but I feel that riff is right there with this. Okay. Um, and it also sounds a little like making a mess from the debut album. 
Yeah, I had the same thing. The lyric, you say it's raining, yeah. but you're pissing down my back. So I don't know. Uh, it's also a little bit of a, a, a guns kind of song. I could picture off their fucking uh, live shit or something, you know. Yeah, yeah this, this is something that you might hear on Besides Yourselves. Like you said, this is yeah. this is that because Poison had it too. They had that kind of punk pop type thing. Cheap Trick had it. It's kind of got that vibe. It's it's basically like you said. It's it's a very simple song written in that way for that reason. Yep. Again, I don't think these are bad songs. They're just nothing I would go to. Yeah. So hmm. let's go to the next ones. Kick some mud in someone's eye. Okay, so when the, when I first heard the song, I didn't quite like it as much. But uh, the more I listen to it, the more I really dig it. It's super heavy. I love that vibe to it. Uh, it's almost like a sad but true kind of thing. <laughs> I had the uh, same I thing. Got it written down there. Uh, I loved it too because on one of the uh, of the home videos, like we said, let's just say it's roadkill. I'm sure one of your listeners will tell me if I'm right or wrong on that. They show a live performance of this from Japan. And that's when I really got into it because I remember it's like, Oh yeah, here comes the boss, Bruce Springsteen. He says that and I'm like, Oh, the boss. And then he goes, mud kicker. Yeah. Instead of saying, here's mud in your eye. He goes, I Steve Hong. And that means I love you, Japan. And I just always like, every time I hear that song, mud kicker. Yeah. I Steve Hong. Really like the heaviness of it, but, I've always been a, a grower when it comes to those really heavy tunes. And this, like I said, at the time I thought it was okay. Now at this point in time, it's one of my favorites on the record uh, because it really kind of epitomizes this, 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 this album for me going back to what we said from the start with the monkey business vibe and the threat vibe. It's more of this real kind of cool. I keep saying dirty and slimy riff. Uh, I think Sebastian sings it really well. It's got a pretty cool pre-chorus and I like the, I ain't the child of your disgrace, mud kicker into my face. I, I feel the world's been crucified, mud kicker. Yeah, here's mud in your eye. I love it. One of my favorites on the record. Give me big guns instead. <laughs> <laughs> I just, I, I listen to this song and I'm like, God, you thought Creep Show was bad. Here's this. Uh oh. <laughs> like, this is bad. 
Like, I get it. They're trying to get back to the metal, but there's a lot going on in this song. And every time I hear Sebastian start talking, I'm like, what the fuck are you talking? First, I got to hear you say living on a change game 40 through 100 times a different way. And now you're just talking in the song? Like, just shut up. There is nothing I like about this song. Nothing. <laughs> yeah, Sonny. Zip. Zip. This Sonny, is the, I'm, this Sonny, is I'm the danger. Sonny, you, you hate danger. I love danger and shout the devil. This is the uh, this is this version here on Save the Grind. Danger. That's <laughs> a fucking killer tune. Go ahead, Sonny. I, I, I'm with you. Uh, the, the the song, the opening riff. It's it's a it's a slow, painful riff, kind of like a sad but true thing. <laughs> I think the vo- <laughs> I think the vocals are just not great. The chorus is horrible. The song is just not good. It's just this, this look, I'm, I don't want to say what I think of the album in general, but this song is just, if this album had a lot of mud kickers on it, <laughs> fuck this album, but it, but it, it's okay. But cause mud kicker is, I HD mass Tom and Zeus. Yeah. I'm sorry. Whatever that means. I love you, Chris, but no mud kicking for me. Mud kicker written by Rachel Boland, Scotty Hill and Sebastian Bach. Wow. I had the same thing. Sad but true. Nice riff. He's got that screeching voice, but he's got that. I, I, Chris, you'll know what I'm talking about. Years ago, and I'm going to throw a little wrestling into you. The Rock did a promo where he was copying all you guys, and I think he did one, and then he did Triple H. Uh, yeah. And the game, uh, and I'm going to beat you. That's what he's doing with this vocal on this. Everything's like, yeah, yeah. <laughs> After every other word, he's doing that. Yeah, and there's mud in your eyes. Yeah. I don't know what the fuck he's doing, but he's doing that. But guess what? I fucking like it. Oh, jeez. <laughs> I like it. I like the way he's doing something different. It reminds me of when I listened to Appetite for Destruction. I'd be like, oh, who's singing the second song? That's not the first guy singing. Uh, Welcome to the Jungle is not the same guy singing. It's so easy, right? It can't be. I like that he changed his voice finally up. And he can do that. And he can pull it off. And I fucking, the, here's mud in your eyes. I love that shit. Oh, boy. <laughs> that fucking just vocal part of it. Oh, fucking love it. Makes the song. It's a nice little solo. Um, I'm not going overboard. I'm not saying the song is the best on the album. But I like the song. It's a good song. Ready to move on to the last track? Absolutely.
yeah, this one to me is, uh, this is an epic tune. You know, it's a great album closer. Uh, it, there's a lot to unpack with this song um, because most great songs have that. It would never be a hit on the radio at almost six minutes. Um, if I had put together this record, I would make this song the last song as well because it's got kind of a really cool um, coda at the end, almost like um, Take Me Away Together as one where it has that down, down, oh, yeah. down, down, down. I feel that, you know, it changes. It's almost like uh, November Rain or Locomotive where there's something different on the other side of it. Uh, Sebastian, once again, singing great, but I like the lyrics you and I together in our lives. Um, but I think this song is is the epitome of his vocals. Uh, he, he sings it so well and every note, I don't know, maybe trills and his vibrato and everything. Um, and the most accessible chorus out of all the ballads and maybe out of all the songs on the record. The only problem is they fell into the trap where it's too long. It's too long to be a single. You couldn't edit it because it needs to be epic. That's how it was written. So it's kind of caught in the middle of a song that's basically an album track because they didn't play it live. They're not Iron Maiden where people are conditioned to long songs. And I kind of think it just fell through the cracks as a result. So um, and that shows me once again that Snake and Rachel and, and, and the whole team didn't give a shit. They wanted to just make the record they wanted to make and to hell with it. And it worked from a sales standpoint, from a charting radio standpoint, it did not. But this is definitely one of the highlights on the record for me and one of the highlights of Skid Row's entire discography. Wasted time. So there's a pain to this song. And yes. my God, is Sebastian selling it. Yeah. Right. So even in the verse melody where he's almost off key, almost flat, almost sharp, like there's this living on the edge as he's singing the verse line that's even there. The pre-chorus is great. The chorus is awesome. The guitar solos are outstanding. And I'm telling you that that thing Sebastian's doing from like 451 to 535 is like 44 seconds, untouchable by anyone possibly nice. ever. Because he is doing shit I have never heard anybody else do. And there's some being some unbelievable singers in music history. But, oh, my God, dude, the shit he's doing here. Yeah. Like, you have to have something in you to be able to do this. I love this song. Yeah, there's something to be said for a great epic album closer. Uh, we've had a lot of them on our album review crew episodes. And this is just this is another one. We said it earlier when we were talking about some of the other ballads whether it was the band or the record label or both, they knew that as heavy as this album is, that these ballads were the strength of this out al of this album, because they were the dark soaring epic type ballads. And it, they showcase box votes to, 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 to a T it, it's amazing what he's doing on this. Um, and I like that it's long and I think it's perfect that it's the last song. Uh, it, it, it's a standout. I love all the ballads on this and this, this might be my favorite one. I'm, I'm not quite sure, to be honest with you, because I think they all stand out. But between Bach and the melodies of what's going on here, I, I think it's, it's just a powerhouse album closer. Wasted Time, Snake, Rachel, and Bach. It's a beautiful fucking song. The vocals, the lyrics. Song is supposedly about drugs and Steven Adler. That's what the rumor is. It was about him. Um, the ending part. I think that's what you're talking about, Sonny. 
when he starts singing the sun will rise again part. Yeah. 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 Okay. And then the, I never thought you'd let it get this get far, star, boy, yeah. boy. Unbelievable. It gives me chills every time he gets that part. And it's just, it makes you like um, appreciate for what he was. And also kind of regret that they didn't get to do more shit like this together. Like, they, unfortunately, they can't get their act together and they can't come back and do something like this because the band, the lyrics and the singer together are better than the parts separate. And uh, I, I this song is a tremendous way to close out an album. Yeah, if if, if um, uh, uh, Monkey Business is the perfect way to start a record, this is a perfect way to end the record because it just yes. ends with Sebastian's note. And a little mm-hmm. bit, of, and it just and it's done, and you're like, "Holy shit, what just happened?" Yeah, you know, yeah. like you mentioned, like never thought it'd get this far. Endless memories, all that sort of stuff. That kind of to me, like I mentioned earlier, is the coda of this second half of the song that makes it so much more epic. So when yes. it builds and then it just ends, you're like, "Wow!" A little bit of a Rocket Queen, yeah, where it's a fucking queen. little diversion. Like, what is this? This is different, but it fucking works, and it, it makes works. a nice closing. And and like you said, Zeus, you almost wish that it didn't take three years to put out another record uh, and that the record business hadn't changed so much in their attitudes towards each other. Because like I said, I think this band had a chance to become not stadium like Guns N' Roses and Metallica, but arenas, which would still translate to 5,000, 6,000 people today. Yeah, uh, Unfortunately, it didn't work out that way. They did do a video. It's another performance video. Very flashy. <laughs> Uh, nothing too much to say about that, but you know, when the cool, the cool part about the video is though, is while Sebastian's doing all that emotional singing, he's in the center and the band is on all four corners of him. Yeah. And he's cool. kind of, kind of like singing in the air with his, you know, arched back and just right, yep. hitting these notes. And there's just like this coolness of something happening. Magical in that part of the video. And I don't know why mm. I think it's gotta be the vocals. It has to be. Yeah, and the sad part is the fucking song, nothing really trended. It didn't it's fucking too long. go anywhere. Yeah. yeah. Too long, too long. It, it charted. Third, it I was think the it charted. Single. Yeah. You got to keep in mind, too, guys, this is pre-satellite uh, radio. Yeah. It's pre-Spotify, pre-YouTube. All you had as a vehicle was radio. And radio is not playing a six-minute song unless it's Bohemian Rhapsody or Hey Jude or Guns N' Roses fucked it probably with November Rain because that was a monster hit because Guns N' Roses was bigger than than Skids were. But even Metallica, if you look at the Black Album, all those songs are four or five minutes. Yeah. It it did go to number 88. That's the only single that charted. And it went to number 30 on mainstream. Gotcha. But it's that good that it'll be. Still not as big as it should have been. No, no, no. So time is short. So we want to get any closing thoughts on the album before we get to the rankings. Well, time is short on my end. I, I think this happened last time. I don't want to. I don't want to. Yeah, give us give off. us your clo- give us your clothing closing. I'll give you my thoughts, closing Chris. thoughts, and I'll give you my order of the songs. That's what you do. Yep. And you guys can continue on from there because I know you go through the old records and all that. Yeah. Stuff. Okay. I, I don't have fucking time for that. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thanks. Thanks, Bach. <laughs> um, once again, like I said, I, I can't stress how much I love Skid Row from this period. All three records uh, hit me. Because they're all different. There's a, a band in Canada called Kickaxe, where all yeah, of yeah. my friends my age, the Todd Kearns and Brent Fitz and all the guys, 
kick had three records and they're all different. And that's what makes them one of the greatest bands in Canadian rock history. Same thing with Skid Row. You can't really compare Skid Row to Monkey Business, or sorry, to Slave of the Grind, to Subhuman Race, because they're three separate records. And they're all brilliant in three different ways. Obviously, we're picking apart uh, the tunes uh, that we don't like, but it's still a 10 out of 10 record for me because of the positives and the minors are still like, fuck, you don't ever hear them again, but they're still pretty cool because of the yep. band and the time frame uh, of that era. So um, that's why I wanted to be involved. You know, if you guys would have picked freaking uh, uh, great white uh, twice shy, I would have said, go fuck yourself, but uh, not. <laughs> Thank <this> you. <laughs> so uh, should I give should I give you my song? Rank, rank? Yeah. Yeah. That's go cool. ahead. Number gotcha. 12, 12 to one. Okay. So creep show. Uh, no. Unless he was dating Adrian Barbeau, in which case I'll give him credit. <laughs> Ryan oh, Act. Yeah. Psycho Love. Quicksand Jesus. Get the fuck out. In a darkened room. Living on a chain gang. The threat. Number four is Mud Kicker. Wasted Time, number three. Slave the Grind at number two. And Monkey Business, number one. And I'd be very surprised if that's not the case for all four of us, but you never know. Never know. What do you guys call this? I can tell you it's not for one of us. Oh, there you (laughs) go. Poonie's always got to be the son of a bitch. He's going to pick creep show as number one. Maybe I will. (laughs) What do you guys call this? This is your album review or album review crew. Yep. Album review. That's very catchy. (laughs) Um, It is. Wait a minute. Album review crew review crew. Oh, I got it. Okay. Settle down. Settle down. Settle down. Uh, Yeah. So that's my thoughts on this record, guys. Thank you so much for including me. Um, And uh, I I look forward to hearing your thoughts when I don't listen back to this when it's finished later. Chris, you're the best. Thanks for joining us, buddy. Have a good night. I'll see you in a couple of months. I'll be the guy that threw the tomato at you. I'll be the guy that catches it and throws it right back and hits it right in your Vincent (laughs) and Pompadour. (laughs) You stupid son of a bitch. You're lucky I even came on this show in the first place. I hate you. Oh. See you later, Chris. Wow. Gotta love it. All right, Sonny, you want to give us your final thoughts on the album? Yeah, I love, like I said, I love the first album. This second album, it's okay. There's songs I like, there's songs I don't like. And it's really because they're riding that edge for me. They're riding, they're almost crossing that line of punk I don't like. They're crossing that, you know, thrash line I don't like. They're crossing that political line sometimes I don't like. You know, that first album being as successful as it was is a blessing and a curse. And kind of like what Chris said, these guys don't give a shit. They're just going to go do the album they want to do. Okay, well, then you're going to lose some people. And that's why they're not playing theaters right now. They're playing fucking, you know, Chick-fil-A's because that's all they can afford to do. Now, yeah, you can get Sebastian in. You can go on a tour and you probably make some money for a year or so. But I'm telling you, even with Sebastian, you're a half for now. They'll still be playing Chick-fil-A's. Because they lost the that Bon Jovi fan right away with two singles. And it is what it is. There's times I go back to some of these songs, but with Sebastian, just I have a hard time separating sometimes the person in the media and the person who's singing. And at times it can ruin it for me, and then I gotta be in a mood. So I gotta be in a mood to listen to really any Sebastian Skid Row. Give me the new Skid Row with ZP any day of the week. 
Yeah, it's funny because you think about it after these the, the debut album in Slave to the Grind, Skid Row is one of the biggest bands in rock. I mean, the, 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 I'm trying to think of another band that was that huge that right now is like non-existent kind of in a way. I don't think Poison ever hit a, had a number one album. No, but no, they had a number two I, album. They okay, never had, they had a number one hit though. They had a number no, one hit. I don't think Warren ever had a number one hit uh, album. I, I'm just thinking of other bands. You know how rare it is that they went to number one. Yeah, but you you gotta you gotta throw even some talking- of that out because SoundScan wasn't using actual sales before '91. That right. was the whole reason why they ended up number one. Right. It was this whole shit, pay to play, who you know, that kind of shit. But I'm even talking about the tours that they did, opening for Guns N' Roses, then headlining a tour with Pantera and Soundgarden. Like they oh, they were on top of the rock world. No, that's what <clears> I'm <throat> saying. Like they were now above those other bands. But think of all those other bands in that era that are still either whether they're on the Kiss Cruise, the Monsters of Rock Cruise, or they're doing something, or they're playing co-triple headline shows. Skid Row's really not doing any of that. Skid and if they Row. are, it's not the Sebastian Bach version. Well, Bach which, which according would, to Sonny, you let you prefer, but not that he's Bach's not, not doing it on his own either. That's Bach right. on his own. Can't sell a Chick-fil-A. Well, he was supposed to be on the kiss cruise, but we'll save that story. <laughs> hey, dudes, I forgot my fucking passport. Um, anyway. But anyways, ta- so talking about the album, I guess just wrapping up thoughts on the album. So I never owned the album. I've never been a huge Skid Row fan ever. I've been a hits guy because I don't like Sebastian Bach's vocal stylings. It's I know I know people heap praise on top of praise on top of praise, and that's great. He's not bad. I just don't go out of my way for that type of lead vocalist. I prefer guys like a Coverdale or a Jolyn Turner or even a guy like Dawkin that has a little bit of nuance, a little bit of soulfulness, melody, can scream when they have to, but can kind of pull it in when they need to. Bach pulls it in on the ballads. But other than that, a lot of these songs, he's all over the place. And that's 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 okay. But the other problem with this album is the songs themselves. A lot of them are just not hooky, memorable songs. Monkey Business, fucking great. Some of those other songs we were joking about, like Get the Fuck Out and Psycho Love and Creep Show, they're fun. The ballads are well written and, and they sound good. But there's a lot of there is a lot of filler on this album. And I'm going to be completely honest with you. When I was reading about this album and doing some research, I really was blown away by the accolades that this album got when it came out. Cause I just don't, I just don't see it. I, I, I feel like the accolades were given because people were like, Holy shit, this is so hard. This is so heavy. I don't, did people listen to the album? Because there's, there's a lot of junk on this album for me. Um, um, I would say this, I have, I, there's not one song on this album. That I'm like, Oh my God, throw that in the bottom. That's going a hundred or less. Not one. Wow. All okay. these songs are, all these songs are decent. There's nothing wrong with it. The music is all decent. There's nothing bad about the music. That's a and great I, word. That's a great word to use. Decent, yeah. mediocre. No, but I'm, I'm talking about like at worst the songs. And then there are a bunch that are fucking great. Good. To great. Okay. That's how I look at it. We have so many albums that we've done that have some fucking horrendous songs on it. Yes. It's terrible that I can't listen to. So when I say to you, there's nothing bad about this, everything's at least decent. I'm not saying at best, 
that's what I can say about this. I'm just saying there's to me, that's a bonus. There's mm-hmm. no, um, then she kissed me on this album. There's nothing that you're like, Oh my God, this just fucking brings it down for me. That is that's for yep. me, but there's a couple fucking standout tracks. I love his voice. I do. The one thing that I can say that I, I think we're all kind of trying to say it is although the music at worst is decent at worst, it's not hooky. Correct. It's not as melodic. Even their first album wasn't as melodic. There's no fucking rat stuff in here. Hooks and stuff. None of There's it. none of that. There's no fucking docking hooks and riffs. This is hard rock, heavy metal. And I think sometimes box vocals make decent songs, great songs because he can do that. And, um, you know, when he puts the passion in, I remember you, you'd probably anybody else singing that be like, this song is fucking stupid. Mm-hmm. And, but when he does it, he fucking makes it into a great song, takes a waste of time into a great song. Maybe other people can't. So for me, overall, I like this album when I got it. Um, it stayed with me. Is it a fucking masterpiece like other people say? I don't think so. But I don't think there's a bad song on here. And I think there's some great ones on here. Um, and I and I, I like Sebastian Bach. And it's a shame that these guys couldn't do anything with their careers to continue it and be like a Black Crows type of band. Can't really sell out a stadium or anything like that. But, you know, can do a decent tour every time they go out. They should, Skid, Row, Skid Row should be doing the circuit like Tesla. Either play, play, they should playing, be bigger than Tesla, but Tesla. that's what I'm saying. Playing small clubs or touring with Def Leppard or like like doing those double triple bill yeah. tours, and they're that's, not, and that's a that's a shame. And that's the difference too. The other part is Brett Michael still looks good despite yeah. the wig at his age. Yeah, God bless him, and he's probably better fucking shape than us. But Bach does not have his boyish good looks. No, anymore. and that picture and that and that picture he posted of him with losing weight. That that was not. Somebody should have told him that 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 ain't an upgrade, brother. That picture you look you you look like you're a fucking meth head right now. Stop. Yeah, not good. He's, he's had too many like, like not even like rock star getting into fights or getting arrested or having a drug habit or stuff. Like stupid shit. Stupid shit. Yeah. Like like huh? It's like surreal. Like in the news, fighting with somebody. <clears throat> Or, yep. or other stuff that you're like, why? Like, I don't get it. So, but I, he's a fucking talent, but obviously he's not talented enough that the guys in the band, like we want to deal with him anymore. And that's a shame. It is. Yeah. I'll tell you, you know, I was there when the album came out. I'm, I'm not only selling the album because of where I work, but I'm also 21 years old. And I'm kind of watching everything happen. I remember you plus. 18 in life plus Sebastian's just good looks equaled a platinum album. No matter what the fuck was on this album, Mm -hmm. it would have sold no matter what it would have went number one, no matter what, because they were that hot at the time. But if you think about it, changing right away, see when were they bigger than Tesla? They could have been, but Tesla didn't turn on their fans at album two. Right. Right, Tesla started doing different stuff. Album four, five. Mm-hmm. So the those fans that the Tesla fans are, dude, they're rabid. Right, they had anybody who listened to Tesla between ninety six and or eighty six and ninety one, they're going to listen to Tesla forever. 
Yep. You can't even say that about Skid Row, that if you listen to him 8991, that you would listen to Skid Row forever. Yeah, but the difference is, though, a lot of those bands, we don't know what would have happened to them after the fucking grunge invasion and everything else. Like even Guns. Guns had their problem. They kind of broke up. We don't know how they would have fared afterwards. After they would the have whole- been fine. I'm telling I you, they would have been I don't fine. know that. I mean, I, I, I no guns would have been fine. Van Halen would have been fine. <coughs> There's just certain bands that would have been fine. I feel like this album really just getting back to the album itself. I feel like the album, because every time I hear or read anything about Slave to the Grind, it's instantly, oh my God, it's so heavy, so heavy. Okay. Is it though, and- or is it heavy compared to their debut album? I mean, yeah, it's heavy. It, it's not Slayer. It's not Metallica. It's not Megadeth. There's some heavy bits to it. Slave to the Grind. The title track is is heavy. It's thrashy. But th- this is just the guitars are turned up. The hey. lyrics are darker. You're not talking about fucking and sucking. And I remember you. I get that. Tom, I, I feel like the album is tremendously it's, overrated. It's Kiss Dynasty, where it's the disco album. You mean the great the, point? The first single is yeah. the disco album. Okay. Yeah. So Slave to the Grind, that song makes this a speed metal. No, right. I think it's harder than their first. It There's is one track that's almost thrash, if not thrash. It, correct. And then that's it. The rest of it's a little harder than the first. There are a lot. I've mentioned it a couple of songs. I'm like, that could have been on the first album. But yeah. Kiss is a perfect example, right? They, It's too much of a surprise. Yes. So if a Love Gun fan heard I was made for loving you, it's like, what the, the fuck, fuck is this? It, and but you they, just assume that everything else is gonna, on that album is going to be the same way. Yep. Yeah, but you also had Beth in 76. So what are you talking about? Right? Yeah, Beth is not is, disco. Which is but why Beth this- is a big fucking big problem for the band and a lot of its fans, though, too. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It is. It is, it is for me. But they come back with a straight ahead rocker in the next album and they come back. With another one, and they throw, and then she gives me. But anyway, I mean, I mean, this—it's a smart move by Skid Row because at this time the musical landscape was changing. I mean, this came out two months before the Black Album. Uh, you know, Kiss Revenge comes out. You know, not long after this. You know, usually, so the, the, these bands were doing that stripped down guitar, bass, drum, rock album. They were doing that, but I think they—they—we said it, and Jericho said it. And we've been talking about it for two hours. They really just grabbed the wheel and turned it a little bit too hard for me. I mean, you were never really into them. I liked their first album. I did because it, it, it attracted, it had that, that pop metal sensibility. This has none of that. It has none of it. But they do That's why I compare it to Cinderella because both that first Cinderella album and this first Skid Row album, Desert Island for me. Yep. Those two albums are perfect as far as I'm concerned. You don't yep. like Long Cold Winter? No, let's go. Oh, I like oh, that. I, I, like can't, that. No. I can't wait till we do that one next. No, I like no. that. So, Zeus, you're Zeus as a Skid Row fan. Do you prefer this over the debut Skid Row or do you? Pre- um, I don't. I don't prefer either of them. I think I like them as they are. They're a little bit different. They're, the first I, I like the first Skid Row album to me. You obviously the two big hits. Yeah, I don't even like Youth Gone Wild and Making a Mess are the three songs I take with me from that album. After okay. that. I think there's nothing wrong with that album. Same like this. I don't think there's one song that's really that sticks out after those three songs for me. I think they're all okay. Yeah, that's a pretty good song. Yeah, I'm not changing the song. Same thing with this. If Creep Show comes on, 
Oh no. <laughs> yeah, like she like that, like living on a chain gang. Like I like it. I'm gonna listen to it. I ain't gonna turn it off. Well, Similar do we want- to a lot of the albums that we've done on this show. I have album review crew on shuffle songs that I'm like this. I don't, I really, except for half, I have to fucking, and I pick Soundgarden. When that comes on, I'm like, I can't listen to this. I don't know what the fuck this is, this I, I, fucking Taliban music. Go I don't right. know what the fuck it is. <laughs> I don't know what it is, but it's got to go. Like, you know, other than that, really, there's nothing that I'm like, I can't listen to. So many of these songs grow on me. So when you start off doing this album, in a month from now, when a certain song from this album comes up, I'd be like, fuck, I had this ranked ninth, but I want to actually hear this song again. Versus the other ones that I had ranked two or three that I'm like, fast forward, fast forward. Well, speaking of that, do we want to do our rankings? Yeah, we already got Chris's. Okay. So there's 12 songs. Yep. Um, How do you want to do this one? Sonny, you go first. All right. I'll start I'll, by saying to me. This album's got four outstanding songs, four good, two that are meh, and two that are unlistenable. And the worst song on this album is, yeah, and that worst on this album is Mud Kicker. That is terrible. A hundred times worse than Then She Kissed Me. It's terrible. (laughs) Even Then She Kissed Me isn't a bad song. It just shouldn't be done by Kiss. Agreed. Um, All right, my number 12 just it's it's so bad living on a chain gang it, it's just it's just so bad hmm. um number 12 for me cycle love 11 for, for for me oh no oh man stupid fucking creep show uh, well my 11 is uh this was almost my number 12 like you sonny uh mud kicker bah Rue Tull. Here's mud in your eyes. Oh, mud in your eyes. Uh, yeah. Why, why, you motherfucker? This <laughs> mud in your eyes. He sounds like red from the tuba. You got some fucking mud in your eyes. It's Triple H, uh, the game. Uh, <laughs> the mud in your eyes. Uh. Uh, I got Riot Act as number 11. Okay. Number 10 for me is get the fuck out. Oh boy. Uh what do I got for number number 10 for me is Riot Act. Uh number 10 for me is a muddy rise. <laughs> uh, All right, 9 for me is Riot Act. 9 for me Slave of the Grind. Wow. Yeah, I just, I, I, it's a good song. I just don't want to hear Skid Row try to be Metallica. Just be Skid Row. Living on a Chain Gang, number nine. Eight for me, Cycle Love. Eight for me, The Threat. Eight for me, Slave to the Grind. I'm not a thrash guy. Yeah, plus it's a Skid Row thrash. It's- Dime store thrash. Uh, seven for me in a darkened room. Ooh, I got psycho love at number seven. Number seven for me. Touchdown Jesus. 
It's a good song by Tim McGraw. <laughs> uh, six for me. I, I think living on Chin King is not that bad. Oof. Wasted time. Number six for me. Ah! Oh, no. <laughs> My buddy Tom sent me another gift of, a, of the creep show. The creep show. The creep show gift that you send me. Isn't that it? Yeah, that's creep show. We have yeah. a, a, <laughs> Purposely a, left that out because I didn't want Jericho to know about that. The couple of people that every time we put name their name, Tom sends the creep show. Fucking <laughs> it's the creeper in the window with his cape blowing around like the like the creep show movies. That's because you don't want to name name. Don't exactly. name no name name. name. <clears throat> Modern uh, day cowboy. <laughs> yeah. Five <laughs> five for me is the threat. Five for me is get the fuck out. So get the fuck out. Uh, so for five, song. stupid. <laughs> yeah, number five for me is the threat. Four for me, quicksand Jesus. Touchdown Jesus. Four for me in a darkened room. Four for me. So get the fuck out. <laughs> Uh, three for me is slave to the ground. You guys are nuts. Three for me is quicksand Jesus. <laughs> <laughs> Who doesn't want to wear the ribbon? Who does not want to wear the ribbon? <laughs> touchdown, Jesus. I saw touchdown, Jesus, when I went to the Bruins winter classic game at Notre, oh, at Notre Dame. Dame. That's yeah, right. When the Bruins played the Blackhawks. Yep. And I saw the, you know, it was at Notre Dame Stadium, which was fucking just yeah. incredible. Nice. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. Uh, number three for me in a darkened room. Two for me, monkey business. Oh, two for me. Oh, no. Isn't a creep show like fucking some porn thing? No, that's, that's a, a peep that's show. That's a peep show. Yeah, but I think creep show like a creepy guy, like creep. What else would it be? My baby's in a fucking creep show. She's in a horror movie. I don't know. I'm telling you, a creep show is like a fucking like for creeps, like for fucking like porn guys. I don't know. And that's why he's all pissed off. Either way, that's my number two. (sighs) Number two for me. Wasted time by the Eagles. Number one for me. Thank God it's not the Eagles. Wasted time. Wow. And number one for me in Zeus apparently is Monkey Business. Monkey Business is the best song and probably one of the best fucking. It's going to be a top song for a lot of us as a fucking opener. As any oh, on this fucking song rips the song to this day. The song still kills it, and then he just does. It. Yeah, it's awesome, and he's got cowbell. Yeah. Oh, absolutely, it does. Yep. All right, now we get to the fun part, right? rankings album cover and album itself oh, wait we need vince mcmahon to finish up adding oh he's gonna oh i'm sorry he's incorporating uh gotcha sorry what is he talking about here? yeah so that uh so the top four number four slave to the grind because both jericho and i had it in our top three number three is in a darkened room which jericho had at seven number two is wasted time which all of us had a pretty good and uh number one because three out of our uh, us four had it at number one is monkey business. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and you had it too. So it's just there right yeah, there. Yeah, with everything. yeah. 
I just it wasted time. Like the stuff that Bach is doing on that song. It's a great song. God, I don't know anybody else that could do this. It's a great song. Yep. What are you talking about? The guy Dangerous Toys is hitting those notes every night. Uh, Yeah. What are you talking about? Chips Enough can do that. (laughs) Hey, you asked for it. He's doing meet and greets now. Yeah, I wanted it. No, Joey Casada and Chris Jericho <laughs> asked for it. That's it. <laughs> they love enough. They enough. love enough's yeah. enough. Yes. All right. So we're going to start doing the uh, the rankings for album covers. So these are the albums that we've done so far. Appetite for Destruction. Slide it in. OU812. Super Unknown. Pyromania. Load. Peace of Mind. Bon Jovi. Blizzard of Oz, Jar of Flies, Winger, Single Soundtrack, Mechanical Residence, Odyssey, Hailstorm, Detonator, Highway to Hell, Once Bitten, Look What the Cat Dragged In, Hotel California, Back for the Attack, 10, Bad English, Down to Earth, Shout at the Devil, and now Slave to the Grind. So, Tom, you want to read your top five? Yes. So, my album covers. All right, my top five album covers are Blizzard of Oz, Highway to Hell, Peace of Mind, Appetite for Destruction, and Pyromania. I am going to put the cover for Slave to the Grind at number 12. It's going to be right below Hotel California and right above Hailstorm. For me, my top five, number five, Blizzard of Oz, four, Once Bitten, three, Hotel California, two, Slide It In, number one is Peace of Mind. Slave to the Grind is ending up at number nine for me, in between Highway to Hell and Shout at the Devil. Okay. Okay. So for me, my top five is Hotel California, Blizzard of Oz, Appetite for Destruction, Peace of Mind, Slide It In. Slave to the Grind is going to go at number 14 right underneath mechanical resonance but above super unknown cool all right comes the fun part ranking the album all right uh my top five album rankings uh number five pyromania four single soundtrack three mechanical resonance two ten And number one, shout at the devil. All right. And where do I put slave to the grind? My dearest Patreon people. It is going at number 22. It's going below down to earth by rainbow and right above bad English. No way would I think it's above uh, down to earth. You seem like you gave it way more compliments. Yeah, well, I think the Jericho had a good point. Too many songs. I mean, I know, I know, I, I, too many songs because <laughs> there are there are a couple of strong songs. Monkey Business is good. The ballads are good. There's too much junk. Too much filler. Okay, but Monkey Business alone carries a lot of weight for me. Gotcha, gotcha. <clears throat> My top five, five. I had once bitten four mechanical resonance, three appetite. Four, uh, two slided in, and number one for me was Hailstorm. This album for me, Slave to the Grind, is going at number 12 
right below Bon Jovi and above Highway to Hell. A couple of reasons. One, Wasted Time is amazing. There are songs that I go back to on this album, not all of them. And it's because of when it came out. Like, it's hitting the right at the bang zone of where I am loving everything that's coming out. I bought this thing first day, both the clean and the dirty copy. I bought the home video. I saw them live twice. Like, I was all over Skid Row. Over time, Sebastian's kind of got old for me. But, but uh, yeah, I got it at number 12. All right. So you guys are probably going to imagine that my uh, my rankings are going to be higher than all of yours. So here we go. Number one for me was Hotel California. Two, Blizzard of Oz. Pyromania, number three. Appetite for Destruction, four. And Back for the Attack at five. Where am I putting this? I am putting this at number 18. Wow. I thought you'd have it way higher than that. I'm putting it underneath Detonator, just above Peace of Mind. Because the Trooper and Monkey Business, both of them combined, are fucking incredible. The uh, Troopers on this album? Peace of mind. I'm saying just above. Oh. But I like uh, like Wasted Time and In a Darkened Room a little bit more than Sun and Steel and the other songs on Peace of Mind. Um, again, I don't hate anything on it. and It's got a couple great songs. But there's a lot of other songs on other albums that I'll go to more. I like the whole album. I mean, we're at a point where, you know, for me, a lot of these albums, I like them. Like, I, I, I don't really hate anything. Even the Winger album, I don't even hate it. But we got to put these albums somewhere. Yep, I agree. And so when something gets in our top 10, it's a fucking great album for us. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm pretty excited. Tom, uh, Sonny, you put yours at 12. Yep. Thanks, Sonny. Yep. <laughs> uh, no, I, I'm a Skid Row fan. I don't have a problem with Skid Row. I just don't need Sebastian back in Skid Row. I enjoy the Skid Row that I have now. I've yep. seen I've seen every singer in Skid Row live, and to me, Sebastian could never pull it off. He could never pull it off live. I haven't seen him, so I can't answer that. I have no <laughs> idea. But what I, the other thing, I'm just looking at this, Sonny. Somehow, my Bon Jovi album is a number eleven for you. You must really hate the other albums. No, I love Bon Jovi. I don't have a problem with Bon Jovi. I thought you didn't like the f- debut album. Maybe that's uh, maybe I'm thinking no, that, that's me that doesn't like it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, how the hell is it number eleven? But that's great, man. Well, that's why we do these things. It's a lot yeah. of fun, and at the end when we pick these albums, it's also always the most exciting part. So, what we do next is this. <laughs> I can tell you guys what uh, makes me rock hard. Please do. Because it came up uh, recently. I don't know why, but it came up recently. And um, and that is, for me, I have the DVD of it. And that is one of my favorite uh, comedians. And that is Red Fox's HBO comedy special, from 1978. Oh, no. It was on HBO. I believe it's the first comedy special on HBO. 
It's 1978. It's in Vegas. It is about as fucking dirty as you can imagine. And it still throws me off that, you know, grouchy, grumpy Fred Sanford is up there talking about eating ass, shitting your pants, (laughs) funk, (laughs) all sorts of shit. It is fucking hysterical. The way he works the crowd, it's like not even an hour. Oh, my God. It's legendary. I don't know why, but somehow I ended up texting with Jepson about something. He was texting me and got into fucking Fred Sanford and in, in HBO. And, and I sent it to the group and we started talking about fucking, uh, I don't know, a shit storm under the van, washing <laughs> your ass. And, and you got to hit that with the you got to hit that with the cloth, the wet cloth. What are you saying? And, and I was like, I've seen him live three times. Zeus is like, no way. Really? Are you kidding? And I'm like, fuck, Red Fox died in 91. I didn't turn 21 till 90. How the hell am I going to see him? I didn't know. I figured he died in the 90s, and you were always at the clubs. You might have seen him a bunch of times. Yeah, but he was playing Vegas. He wasn't playing fucking San Francisco. (laughs) I don't know. Maybe you were his dealer back then. Fucking who knows? (laughs) But anyway, I fucking love me some Red Fox. That HBO special. And the reason I'm bringing it up to you guys is I have the DVD of it, but it's on YouTube for free. And you can see the whole fucking thing. It's fucking hysterical. Oh, I know why he got brought up because of our Bon Jovi hickory nuts. It was the debut. Oh, album. yes. It was the debut album anniversary anniversary. That's right. And I think we posted and I was like, oh, his hickory nuts. And he and that's from the Red Fox where you'd say, and guys, when you get home, wash those wild, wild hick- hickory nuts. <laughs> Guys, gotta watch it. I think it's fucking hysterical. Red Fox HBO special. It's on YouTube for free. It's like forty-five minutes. Tons of fun. Sonny, what do you got, bud? What makes me rock hard? Hell yeah! I, I was gonna say Chris Jericho, and then you oh, can just put Jesus like oh, crickets no. in there. All right. So, what makes me rock hard? You guys, your guys are Ray Donovan fans. Showtime series, seven yep. years. We've talked about it before. Great right? show. There was supposed to be an eighth season and they started, I guess they started taping it and then they just stopped and the fans went nuts because there's a bunch of cliffhangers that didn't finish off the stories. The eighth season was supposed to be the final season that's supposed to answer all these questions about what had happened the first two or three seasons and nobody knows why they were in the situation they were in. So they did this very interesting thing. They made a two hour movie and just called it Ray Donovan, the movie. Mm-hmm. And they released it a couple of weeks ago, and it basically ties up all the loose ends. So Brilliant. if you are a Ray Donovan fan, it is a good movie, and it's two hours. And I got a feeling that if this thing does well, this may be the way to end all series coming forward. Because you could put this movie in the theaters, and it had enough of a, I guess, a summary to where you can understand most of it. And you would not only clip off everything that was hanging out there for the fans in the theaters, but you would bring in new fans that want to know what happened the prior seven seasons. So this could be the way to go. But if you haven't seen Ray Donovan, the movie, it stitches everything up nice and tight. And it's, uh, like I said, it's a good way for a series that's going to get canceled for, you know, whatever reason. Maybe Shriver wasn't making enough money. Who knows what the hell the reason was. So I don't know if you guys have you guys seen the movie? No, no, because I never ended up finishing the 
the show. I think I had like a, I, I drifted off. So I watched like the first four or five seasons of the show and then I kind of fell off the map. But now that I know that this movie is back, I'm going to try to pick it back up so that I can finish off the movie. It's a great show. Yeah. Yeah, it is. Well, speaking of shows, um, we're recording on uh, Saturday, the 22nd and uh, Friday, the 21st season four, part one of season four for one of my all time favorite shows dropped on Netflix. And that is Ozark. My God, <clears throat> if you guys aren't watching Ozark, you are missing one of the great TV shows in streaming history. It's got Jason Bateman, Laura Linney. Uh, it's it's like I would compare it loosely to a Breaking Bad type thing, but it's a, it's much, much different. But it's it's like that. It, it's it's people just getting wrapped into drugs and money and businesses and it's amazing. The acting is fantastic. The writing is fantastic. The action, the drama, it's been a long time. If you follow shows on Netflix or any of these streaming shows, you know that it's a long time in between seasons. And this was a long time coming. Part one of season four, like I said, it dropped yesterday. It's seven episodes. For some reason, they wanted to get these seven episodes out. The second half of season four is supposed to drop at the end of the year. Um, but I'm telling you, if you haven't watched Ozark, start it. It's amazing. Fucking one of the best shows. Sonny, where can we find you? I'm easy. I, uh, Twitter, Facebook, I'm easy to find. And I'm also on uh, podcast rock city. We're the number 75 kiss podcast in the world. So, uh, oh. we're wonderful. And, uh, uh, growing up rock, we're number 536 in the rock category. So we're wonderful. Um, but yeah, check me out there. You punk ass. <laughs> I don't think there's 75. I think they're probably about 50 kiss podcasts. There's two. <laughs> there's only two. Yeah. Okay. I don't know. Tom, what about us? Uh, you can find us our email. Shout it out loudcast at gmail.com. Shout it out loudcast at gmail.com. Uh, we're on all the social medias, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, can send us direct messages. If you're listening to us for the first time, we are an all kiss podcast. We drop new kiss episodes every Saturday. And then we drop these album review crew episodes once a month with Sonny and occasionally Jericho. He joined us on the poison. Look at the cat dragged in episode not long ago. Um, and uh, yeah, you can check us out. We're on, like I said, all the social medias and our email reach out to us. Uh, you know, let us know what you think of skid row slave to the grind. Yeah, uh, people can email us uh, at shoutitoutloudcast at gmail.com, shoutitoutloudcast at gmail.com. DM us on our Twitter, Facebook, Instagram accounts. Those are always open for us. Uh, either way, either either through email or the um, um, DMs, we always, uh, we always read them. Sometimes we don't get to them to reply, but we try to do as much as we can to keep up with everything. Uh, don't forget our Patreon account, P-A-T-R-E-O-N account that uh, you can find this on the app or you can find it at patreon.com or you can actually find it in the episode notes when you find this podcast. Uh, please give us one of those five star, star child reviews. You can do that on 
Apple iTunes. You can do it on podchaser.com, even Spotify now, I believe you can. Mm -hmm. And don't forget our fantastic YouTube channel, which is constantly growing. Feel free to subscribe to us there. We'd appreciate it. And if any of you are uh, shouting out Loudcast merch, you can go to clickteshop.com, clickteshop.com for all your shouted out Loudcast merch. Uh, what we usually do at this point, we go to uh, famous last words, and that's lyrics of the songs. Uh, let's start off with our buddy, Sonny. What do you got? Paranoid delusions. They haunt you. Where's my friend I used to know? He's all alone. He's buried deep within a carcass searching for a soul. Well, my jaw dropped dead to the table. She put my cool in shock. Crack kills and blood spills, baby. But psychos, dykes and transvestites are on the chopping block. Well, I puke. I stink, bitch. (laughs) Give me a drink. Because I'm paying for the room. I ain't buying you breakfast. So keep your mouth busy and wrap your lips all around my attitude. Oh, fucking Gene is so jealous. Oh, yeah. Uh, Chris Jericho. Tom, Sonny, Loudcasters, Kiss Army, all of the above. Thank you. Yeah, always a good time. And I didn't know Chris was coming. That was a surprise, but it worked out okay. Had a great time. This was awesome. Chris, thank you so much, buddy. Sonny, always a blast. Patreon people, thank you. I may not have loved the album top to bottom, but I love that you guys got a say in our pick. So Patreon people, thank you for uh, voting on Slave to the Grind. And Zeus, as always, thank you, my friend. Peace out, Girl Scout. Now get the fuck out. I think we got a new ending. Oh, God. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 